Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A malibu.com, code GLOW. James sounds really good. I'm. I've got a huge erection, as a matter of fact. What are you wearing? What are you wearing, James? I, I, I'm, mine's quite hard as well right now, to be honest. Hey, what are you? What are you wearing? Tell me uh, really slow. Okay, I will be honest. I'm wearing a white t-shirt, gray oh. shorts, and oh, oh. Dylan. Oh, James is. Oh, oh, stop. I guess stop, James. Uh, no mas. No mas. Oh, God, it's going to be one of those nights. Welcome to Underground Nights. I'm Paul Field in Bexelon-Sea, and I'm joined, as ever, by my co-host in Atlantic Canada, Mr. James Mullinger. Hello. Also this week, um, we have a special guest joining us, an avid collector of films and music. It's my good mate, Dave. Hello there, Paul. Hello, James. Hi, Dave. Uh, well, you said an avid collector. I mean, actually, Dave is an avid collector of something else, very Cool. <laughs> well, it was. A long, long time ago, when I was a young lad, I used to collect crisp packets and 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 to to i mean regular uh, listeners uh, of your work will know this but anyone uh, that doesn't know this please google metro dave valentine uh, and maybe throw in the word crisp packets <laughs> uh, and you will see an article about dave and his amazing crisp packet collection and, and and he's a man after my own heart as as i too collected crisp packets it was more of a sideline to my you know other kind of high-end collections of, of train tickets and uh, Donald McGill postcards and VHS tapes and all the rest of it, and Happy Shopper uh, product packaging. But So my collection was never as good as, as yours, Dave, but, uh, but I do salute you uh, with uh, the fiercest of salutes for your brilliance in collecting. That's very, very kind. I think the, the seven-year-old me will be extremely proud by your salute. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, on this episode, we'll be going balls deep into the world of Troma Entertainment with a really special interview. 
as well as looking into the decline of physical media and shining a light on the world of VHS collecting. Um, all that and a quiz. Uh, but first, housekeeping. So James, last time we recorded, you said you were going to have some time off over the summer. I'm guessing that barely happened. Yeah, that didn't happen, yeah. Uh, I mean, that said, did, uh, when it was nice weather, did make sure that uh, my wife and I kind of, you know, put the computers away and, you know, hit the beach with the kids and all the rest of it. But yes, uh, I did end up doing lots of stuff. I mean, both, obviously, PR in both films and uh, gigs when they came up. But, um, but to be honest, I did try and make sure there was enough quality time with the kids and to enjoy the weather because basically in about a month, I hit the road pretty much solidly for about four months, so... Uh, but it's all good, my friend. And the CBC documentary, um, which I've been fortunate enough to see, mm. give, give us a heads up. When, when's that coming out and when can people outside of Canada get to see that? Good question. So, yeah, on the, on the 18th of September, there's um, uh, 17th of September, there's a, a documentary basically about why I moved to, to where I now live, which is St. John, New Brunswick. Uh, and it's a film basically about the city through my eyes, essentially. But it, it is about... So it, throughout it, 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 it starts with me telling my story and my life story and all the rest of it. And then kind of I speak to other people in the city. But the whole uh, film is framed around this, my idea that, you know, I come to this, this small city where people are kind of quite down on the place. I say, well, anything's possible here. And they go, well, no, it's not. And I go, all right, I'll set out an arena. And then I go and set out an arena. That, that's basically the, uh, the premise of the show. So um so it's kind of, I, I, I really hope that people kind of internationally are obviously going to, people in this city are obviously all over it, which is, which is beautiful. And I'm so happy with how the film turned out. But yeah, for, for me, the great thing, I think, I, I hope it's one of those films that's going to be inspiring for people everywhere. And it, it is, and again, for me to come here two years ago, and CBC is obviously like Canada's BBC, and it's airing on a Saturday night at 8pm. So like, it couldn't be uh, a bigger deal for me and then shortly after that it will go on the cbc website where i believe it uh, it will be um uh, able to be viewed anywhere and if it's not just get in touch with me and i'll flog you a pirate copy yeah i mean i th- it's one of those things that it, it does translate internationally i mean we i mean being british we always hate on where we live typically right. that's and, it that's, and and even i felt bad you know watching you big up this you know you've moved there you you massively being up this new city that had adopted you and it was really heartwarming and I actually felt guilty for my own I fucking hope where I live it's shit you know <laughs> uh, right, right. And, it's true. And, and, we, and, and we do all do it and um, I think the weird thing here is is that people here do it but because uh, other people in other parts of Canada don't know what it's really like here uh, everyone just takes their word for it so basically everyone goes, oh, well, it must be shit if everyone there says it's shit. And even when I, would, when I came in to look at houses, people were like, oh, uh, why would you come and live here? And it's like, well, do you know what? Why don't you go and look at where I lived in Tooting <laughs> and, and then tell me that while you're sitting in your house on the water? Um, and really, actually, I mean, invariably people, I mean, in, certainly in the case here, the people that are very down on here are actually, uh, that live here are the people that um, have never been anywhere else. Or, or their idea of, like, they think London is what they saw in love actually they didn't like like for example like, the funny thing i mean here in st john right when i got in like oh don't go down that down that street that street's dangerous right and i'd go down and there yes there might be a crack dealer there and there might be a geezer with one tooth sitting on his doorstep drinking a beer but where i lived in south london if someone said don't go down that street that meant don't go down that street because you will be fucking stabbed to death like it meant actual death not just having to walk down the street and say nice tooth to some geezer 
So, uh, yeah, essentially that, and that's what it's all about. It's about my passion for the place, but also, yeah, uh, it's about, you know, making, um, making the impossible, the seemingly impossible happen. But really, I mean, for, for my part, it was a celebration of, of small cities and just the fact that, um, uh, you're in a smaller place. You don't have to have small ideas. This is actually a point someone makes to me in the film that, you know, you can have big ideas in small places. You live in Hastings, Dave. I certainly do. Home of the crypt. Oh, I mean, <laughs> talk about making the impossible come. I mean, that place. I, 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 I'm sure uh, Paul passes on that. I, I had a flatmate uh, or guy I was at university with called uh, Porno Paul. And, uh, <laughs> uh, everyone's got a mate called Porno something. And Porno Paul he lived in Hastings. And again, I mean, I didn't even have many friends in my hometown of Maidenhead. So I'd come back with him at the weekends and go out in Hastings. And oh my God, I've never had more fun in my life than those nights at the crypt. Were you a regular at the crypt? I certainly was. I DJed down there at the 80s night from time to time. Wow. Had some amazing times at the crypt. I mean, it's genuine. I mean, I mean, some of the stuff I did in there, we couldn't broadcast, but it was just the most magical place. I mean, there was no feeling like, like that sticky floor. I mean, the amount of times I yeah. landed on that sticky floor in the middle of a furious speed binge. Like, I mean, just I thought, what what years were you going there? Because I was going there, I guess, uh, ninety-seven to two thousand. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly the same, yeah. Because I think you and I are probably about the same age. I was born in '78. Yes, me too. So, so there you go. Yeah. So, sort of started going down there when I was 18 in '96. Oh. But '97, '98, '99 were definitely the uh, the uh, the high times. The... Absolutely, in, in every sense of the word. Indeed. I mean, I mean, we must. We, we're gonna have to. Play, I'm doing that at night. I'm gonna have to play this game. You don't know. Uh, I'm gonna shout some names out and see if you know them. Uh, Ross Beedon. No. Uh, Paul no Paul's real name was Paul Lawson. But no, I just saw it on the off chance. Um, you never know. I, I, might, I might know them by sight. Or... Yeah, and the crypt, yeah, and the crypt was a place like that. Everyone knew each other, but only, you know, when... People didn't really recognise each other the next day when they weren't covered in sweat oh, and jaws. And, and uh, aren't you glad that camera phones didn't exist back then? Oh, my God, I am. But I tell you what I do have is loads of prints. Like, we, I, I was a weird... I don't know why... I used to take a camera around with me and actually take pictures in places like that and get them printed at Boots. So I'm in... I have pictures of like people with like ten foot spliffs, like we like spliff next to like a widescreen TV. Like, well, I would take, I would literally um, take pictures and get them printed. I mean, how weird's that? Yeah. I could, I could honestly listen to stories about the crypt all night. Unfortunately, <laughs> we've got to do the news. Yeah, we'll do the crypt episode. <laughs> the crypt, the crypt cast. We'll do that sometime. <laughs> okay, this week's news. There's not a lot. I'm going to. I'm going to going to put it out there but i did find one interesting list there's always a list comes out last week it was the the critics top films of this century which was a load of bollocks um and this week it's the 30 most divisive um movies since 2000 which is a wonderfully uh was it's quite a nice uh list to come up with i think i like quite like that because it makes i hate the best this the best that because it's like well, who's to say? Like, that's just so ridiculous. You know, it's also down to the person. Whereas divisive, you can't really argue with. Or no. can't we? <laughs> well, number one, I was surprised, actually, that, that The Room's number one. Yeah, that, that does seem weird because, I mean, The Room, like, the people that love it aren't, let's be honest, they're not saying it's, it's amazing. They're saying it's so shit, I love it. They've, you're right, the, the Room absolutely should not be on that list. No. However, not- things like The Tree of Life absolutely should. Yeah. That's a perfect one for this list. What do you think, Dave? Which one, which ones on there would you say shouldn't be on there? I've had lots of arguments about Team America. 
Yeah, right. That no, that that should be on there, but ones that shouldn't. Mm. Um, what dog? I mean, Dogville, no, number ten. Now, it's just not that popular enough, is it, to be that divisive? Well, well didn't it get a five? I thought it got five stars from Empire when it came out. Everything yeah. gets five stars from Empire when it comes out. Yeah. Say, don't say that. <laughs> They're watching Comedians Guide. <laughs> 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 Interesting you say that, and again, it's funny. I mean, again, like I said, I mean, kind of uh, perception is everything. But um, I always thought that Dogville actually was really, uh, and I've not seen it, but I've always thought I should see it because it was so critically acclaimed. So that's interesting that your impression was that it wasn't. I mean, Tree of Life, absolutely. I, think, I mean, what do you think about those kind of movies? Well, I think I know the answer because I, I haven't seen it yet, but Paul, you recommended to me the, the, the latest Nicholas Wending, I can't say his name, Refn, is it? Yeah, The Neon uh, Demon. Yeah, exactly. That should be probably at number one on this list. Right, but and presumably what you loved about it is that it looks beautiful and you just go along for the ride. Yes. Right. I mean, I would say, and maybe it came out before this, but um, Mulholland Drive should be on here. But then, but then it just becomes the list of weird films that aren't about anything but are actually quite good. Well, that was number one on the other list, on the top films of this century. What? Pretty sure it was. It was. Is that the one that I sent to you today as well? Without yeah, I'd, well, I'd seen it before because yeah. they did it on Foul Critics. Yeah. My Home and Drive was the number one film of this century. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, I mean, I mean, of the again, 21st century. Right. But, I mean, I wouldn't say... Um, I don't think it's a bad movie at all. But, uh, but you know, I do somewhat have a problem with those films that don't aren't about anything, like The Tree of Life. Yeah. Uh, and to an extent... I mean, I mean not... maybe. Only God forgives a bit, but I mean, I guess there was something of a plot there. But then, I mean, at the end of the day, to be honest, I can't really talk about it. Every, every time, I, every single thing that's coming out of my mouth, all I'm thinking about is more pounded. I mean, and it's weird. I mean, I've now gone around. Yeah, I know you guys talked about this, and it, I mean, that podcast made me absolutely piss myself laughing. But I no longer think that more pounded is so bad it's good. I now think more pounded is just amazing. <laughs> Because, I mean, I mean, it, I mean it, nothing has entertained me as much as that. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of falling into, this, into the same boat with you, but Paul Brooker on Foul Critics, he, he weren't having it. He just did not get no, it. No. He got really like, angry. He was like the opposite of that How I Am Phil character that agrees with everything. Like, he literally was, like, he wasn't, he wasn't even going to let it go. He wasn't even going to concede. Well, I can kind of see why that English prick that moved to... To Canada, might you know he wasn't even it wouldn't just wouldn't give it any any acceptance <laughs> at all. Hi, Brooker, if you're listening. No, yeah, fair play. I'm just looking at this list again about divisive films, and correct me if I'm wrong. There's not a single Tarantino film on it, and isn't he one of the most divisive directors currently working? Yes, that is a good point. I guess yeah. I mean, that's true. How have they worked this out? Like, how have they balanced? I mean, but also like. Uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, I mean, because there are p- people do hate his work, and of course, there's people like me that just love it, and no, mm. no film can be too long or too talky of his. But I find it weird, like *Nymphomaniac* two is on there, but they, uh, *Nymphomaniac* one was completely uh, uh, amazing. It's the sequel was shit. Is that really what people <laughs> people were saying about *Nymphomaniac*? <laughs> I think this has been put together by a load of blokes down the pub. This list. Yeah, it doesn't look like there's any minute. voting going on at the last minute because they they yeah. they couldn't get their copy in on time. Let's do a list. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Like Crank, like again, Crank Two's on there. Like really, like people watch. Like if you liked Crank, you loved Crank Two. 
a bit of you thought Grant One was shit. You know, I'll tell you what, have you, got, have you guys seen yet the new Jason Statham movie, The Mechanic 2? No, I've not seen it yet. I really want to, though. Oh, my God. It is. It's amazing. Like, I mean, check out the reviews for it. There's some hilarious ones. But what's amazing is that I'm not the biggest Statham fan and he cannot do any wrong. But this is literally like it was. It was directed by like Dolph Lundgren in 1988. Like, like, and there's also no blood in it. Like he shoots like a million people. It's it's like an 80s PG action movie. I mean, it's just beyond any. Uh, it's it, it's just odd how bad it is. Especially the, the first one was actually quite a thoughtful film and actually quite good. But um, but it's it's weird. I mean, I love the stage, but this film no, it's non-stop action, but no violence. Are we done with this list? I mean, it's it is it is what it is. Yeah, um, I mean, Boyhood. I would I would agree with. I I really didn't really get Boyhood. I must admit, Birdman. I don't think it's a bad film, but I haven't finished it. That does this does lead us seamlessly into what we're going to talk about later, which is trauma. In the for me. I mean, I tell you what, the list of films, I'd like to do a list, list of um, critically acclaimed films that I haven't finished. So, like, I've watched the first half of, of Boyhood, Birdman, uh, 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 some boring one that won loads of awards about a geezer teaching a kid a, a musical instrument. Uh, <laughs> Whiplash. Uh, Whiplash, was it? Whiplash. <laughs> like, they are all fucking dog shit. Like, 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 I mean, like, I'm sorry, I, mean, I know not everyone will agree with me on this. But this is why I spend most of my time watching Toxic Avenger over and over and over again and Surf Nazis Must Die. It's because all of these all of these movies that win all the Oscars are just terrible. They're just I mean, no, sorry, they're not terrible. They're brilliantly made films, but they're boring. That's my opinion. Yeah. Right, fellas. I know you both uh, proclaim to to be big on, on VHS and retro. So I've got a little quiz. Mm. Mm. You ready? Yeah. Yeah. In 1992, when mm-hmm. VHS rentals in the UK were at their their height, what was the average price? 79.99 to buy it. To rent <laughs> a VHS movie. I would say three pound fifty. All right. Three. I'll go three quid. It was actually one pound seventy five. So point for what? Dave. Oh well, good, yeah, good, fair, fair play. I mean, the problem there is, is what they've done is it's average. So I guess yep. that yeah. includes all of the children's fifty p rentals. In 1992, when it was at its height, how many million rentals were there in the UK? Oh, 1992. Was it still at its height? I guess it was. That was its height. Yeah, I, there's a whole website devoted to VHS and uh, movie renting stats, and right. 92 was the year. Okay. Uh, How many mi- in rentals in millions? Five million. Dave, Dave. what are you saying? Uh, uh, let's let's go. Let's go mega. Let's go fourteen million. It was two hundred and fifty-two million. <laughs> Good <laughs> God! <laughs> let's go mega. Not mega enough. <laughs> no. <laughs> James, you're two nil down here, so you've got a good chance on this next question. I thought you asked how many did I rent a year. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the, the first trauma film uh, according to imdb is called the battle of love's return what year and month was that released in the united states 1960 uh, no early 70s uh, released yeah or made. released 72 se- made in 71 released in 72 september dave well, he's obviously the Trauma expert. I, I thought they, I never did, didn't think they were around in the early 70s, but uh, no, I, I have no idea on that, mate. Uh, May 75. 
It was June 1971, so you were pretty close there, James. Yeah. Whoa, nice. I've been listening, Lloyd. <laughs> <laughs> okay, in 1982, um, Boots released their uh, Christmas catalogue of all the wonderful gifts you could buy for your oh. family. And the most expensive item in there was a Ferguson VHS video recorder offering video programmability and stereo. How much was it? Seven hundred ninety-nine pounds. Seven nine nine for James. What are you saying, Dave? Uh, a boot catalogue, nineteen eighty-two. Let's go four hundred and fifty. It was five nine nine. So Dave's closest. Oh, just. <laughs> okay, now we're getting into to, into Mullinger territory here. Been looking up some uh, used VHS sale prices on eBay. Yeah. Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah. Pre-cert. Yeah. Sold last week. Yeah. How much did it sell for? In, in really good condition. Okay, excellent question. Uh, in pounds, obviously. In yeah. pounds, yeah. It's weird. I mean, it, it, cause it's constantly shifting, but it's also constantly going up. So, like, a couple of years ago, 80 pounds would be about normal. But I'm now I think it's going, I would say, 150 Dave, would you reckon? Yeah, I was I was going to go for about that. I don't know whether to go for higher or lower. Uh, 120. 290 pounds. Whoa. Whoa. I mean, I mean, and now for me now converting that to dollars, like like you know three hundred six uh, six hundred dollars. I mean, just, it's just it's staggering. I mean, I mean, there is so much change, and of course now most of the dealing is done. I don't know if you guys are members of this. And there's another documentary about VHS called Adjust Your Tracking, which is great. And it's basically a, a huge focus on that uh, Facebook group called Horror VHS Collectors Unite. And it's basically people sharing their collections. It's people selling. And that's where people... And it's mainly America, obviously, and, and Canada. A lot of people selling stuff on there for a lot less. But, I mean, that is amazing. When you think... Camel Hog, I would say, a decade ago, you could have got for 80. Yeah, I mean, it's really hard to, to, to actually get good reliable VHS prices because there are so many shill bidders and scammers and go and have a look on, on eBay completed Disney. listings for Disney. Yeah, yeah, it's a joke. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, 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 they put one. But then, but for horror, it tend, that tends not to happen. Yeah, right? no, that's that's true. You know, so I kind of think, uh, like, I don't know if this is one of the questions, but like the highest ever sale for a Oh, 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 that could uh, be oh, one of the questions. Could well be. <laughs> right, I've got another one here and it's, it's, it kind of touches upon VHS and video nasties. And do you know what? I'm I'm going to say it now. I think the BBFC get a bad rap because people think there's, there's thousands and thousands of films banned and all this, that and the other. But do you know what? The reality is, how many films do you think the BBFC still have banned as of now? Well, now, well, I don't, I mean, I think I would say is, I don't know if they get a bad rap, bad rap, bad rap now, but when they were getting a bad rap and certainly in movie fan circles were slagged off relentlessly, I kind of feel like they deserved it back you know 15 years ago 20 years ago when every single movie was having two minutes chopped here three minutes chopped there and of course for losers like me it, it made life interesting because my life's mission was to find the commando uh, on american ntsc tape which had the extra three seconds why do i need that three seconds <laughs> you know um but i was obsessed with 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 finding there um but i kind of think back then they were they did deserve it but now i would agree like I mean, I mean, well, I mean, to be honest, uh, now I would actually say they left too much through. <laughs> God, then how many? The, how many are still banned? A, oh, oh, is that the was that the question? That's the question. That's still banned. Still uh, banned. It, um, it does. Does that include pornography? 
no, it's only it's only stuff that's been submitted. Yeah, but people. Oh, yeah, good point. But I think uh, I'm, in a year, I'd say two, three. Yeah, it's not many at all, is it? It's, no, this um, is so since the since the beginning of the BBFC, how many films that they've have been submitted are still since, currently banned? Oh, oh, oh sorry, they're okay. still banned now. Mm. So in the last thirty odd years or so. Um, so oh, oh yeah, I, I would say there's probably still twenty, probably. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I island no, not island. Yes, yeah, it's, it's not many, is it? Twelve, thirteen. Let's go twelve. It's actually 24 in total, and that includes stuff that they've never bothered to resubmit. Right. In the last sort of 10 years, there's very little. There's, in 2015, there was a film called Hate Crime, which I have seen, actually, James Cullen Bressix, uh, and that's a home invasion rape film um, with, uh, with some um, kind of religious uh, and racist overtones. Bunny Game, that's more raping. Lost in the Hood, that's gay raping. Um Back to 2009 and the amusingly entitled My Daughter's a Cocksucker, which is incestuous uh, throat raping. And back to 2009 again for Grotesque, which is also raping. Is it, which, you know, you kind of have to say, I mean, I'm assuming the second before last one was porn. And that is a huge part of the thing. Like back in the day when they were cutting a close-up of a knife coming out of someone in front of the 13th. I mean, what a waste of time and what a waste of them just trying to make themselves seem like they have a proper job to do. But the thing that I do agree with is when they're cutting porn, I mean, not that it makes a difference because everyone can get everything anyway, but, you know, when they're cutting porn, if we're going to, obviously, porn is, you know, and, and then, of course, at one point they made porn legally uh, available, R18 legally available in porn shops. I think it's fair enough for them to cut out, you know, choking and, you know, uh, I mean, basically anything where some, someone is being physically harmed. I don't, I don't have a problem with them cutting that. But I think back in the day, it was crazy the amount of stuff they, um, yeah, just those little cuts here and there. And obviously, you know, the video nasty thing, which was ridiculous. But equally, what an ex- well, I say exciting time. It was an exciting time for a collector, but it was also terrifying. I, mean, I was I remember being at film fairs that were raided by the police and mm. friends of mine that were selling you know, pirates being, you know, going to jail, having their houses searched. I mean, I, pretty much everyone I know from the Camden movie mania fairs and the, and the Westminster film fairs that I went to pretty much solidly between the age of, you know, uh, well, eight to, to when I left. Uh, at some point, it's had their house raided, searched, stuff confiscated. And it's just weird now to think the police had the time to do that. And hopefully this will be a conversation our kids will be having about drugs in 20 years. Uh, I was just going to say, well, just watching that documentary last night about um, uh, VHS Forever, and they mentioned about how in the era of the, of the video nasties, people were having copies of the big red one taken off them. That's right, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Simply, presume, and also the big, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the smallest little whorehouse house in Texas. Yeah, yeah. Based on the title alone, they were having these videos taken off them. It was insane. It was absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's, it, again, just an utter joke that this yeah, happened. But um, was there a question? Oh, no, there is. Right. There is. You, you, it's three all. Last oh, question. Wow. Now, James, I, I, you're going to have to forgive me if my research isn't up to scratch. But I tried to find the highest amount paid for a VHS on eBay. Oh yeah. And my research led me to a film called Tales from the Quad, Quad Dead, Dead Zone. Zone. Right. Yeah. How much? In US dollars, did the uh, a copy of Tales from the Quad Dead Zone go for? It was eight hundred in dollars. Yeah, in dollars, eight hundred fifty dollars in in that region. 
In fact, in one of these documentaries, the guy that bought it is actually interviewed. Okay. Yeah. Go on, Dave, have a punt. Did it make a thousand? It made a thousand and twenty-five. No. Dave, well oh. done, buddy. You won the quiz. Yes, man. Thank you. <laughs> Congratulations. I'm very impressed. Oh, dear. Do you know what? The, the tiebreaker was going to be that, um, if although they're actually saying that there aren't enough questions for it to have been a tie, but I tried to find the last time they published the VHS rental chart, and it was, I can tell you the top three were Constantine, Million Dollar Baby, and The Pacifier. Do you know what year that was? 2004. Five, wasn't it? It was Dave Bloody. Oh, he's yeah. good. Well, well, I only know that because I know that it, apparently the last VHS released in the UK was A History of Violence, the Cronenberg film. Interesting. But I've never ever been able to fa- find it on VHS. Interesting. And uh, James, I take it you know Viva VHS through social media. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, uh, 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 Dale. He's mentioned it as well, but again, never been able to found a copy. He's never found a copy of it. Never found it. No. That's interesting. I mean, it's it's it. I mean, I, I actually I see it a lot here, but then maybe videos last as long. I see I see that in Value Village a lot. I mean, it's it's weird. Um, the, yeah, Value Village is like a like a, a like a superstore version of Oxfam, and it's where I go like to get my VHS from. But the weird thing that's different here, and obviously, I mean, you know, we've, I, you'll, you'll both be aware of this, but for listeners, I mean. You know, VHS, obviously, it was mainstream and then it wasn't. And then, I mean, I funded my, my whole time at university by selling VHS. I discovered eBay in about 1997 and, or 98 and basically literally paid for my whole tuition and, and everything by scouring charity shops and, and boot fairs. Uh, find you know, I'd go to eBay, see what highest priced item first was, and I'd go and find those things. So I'd find out that Jack the Ripper with Michael Caine was worth 300 bucks. Yes, and yeah, yeah do you remember that because you couldn't get I it. Do, yeah, yeah. I think in my crack then in, in, in Tolworth near Kingston, getting set FedEx by some American $350 in cash. Um, for this thing I bought for a pound at the uh, and of course, back then, even then, it was hard to find video nasties. But of course, I mean now there's no. I, there's, in England, I was there's no one currently sitting with a, a garage full of VHS that either doesn't know what they are. Like there's not, you, you know, the glory days of like someone turning out a video. You know, someone's bought a whole collection of videos yeah. sits in their garage and they turn up at the boot fair and flog them for a pound each. That that is over. Yeah, I'm afraid so. It's like you made the comparison earlier to uh, vinyl, and it's in the same way that no charity shop has a copy of the Beatles' White Album yeah. that's knocking around because they know the value. Exactly, exactly. And if anything, the problem that's going to occur, like vinyl, is that everybody thinks that because it's vinyl, it's worth money. Like, yeah. like you know, you turn, I turn up at a yard sale, and the bloke will be like, oh, yeah, the vinyl's collectible. And he'll have a pile of classical albums. And just, yeah. It's like, it's not, not all vinyl is worth, you know, and... um. And as we as we were talking about, you know, with those ridiculous Disney uh, things on eBay, people trying and scamming and trying to sell Disney videos for two thousand dollars. I mean, the reality is it is super hard. And, and the the Facebook group VHS Collect- Horror Collectors Unite, which is just a godsend and is amazing. Um, you know, and these guys obviously sharing their tapes to each other for very affordable prices. But um, I mean, that's kind of. You just realise how many thousands of people there are out there now collecting. And as you say, people know. 
we're going to look at uh, two documentary films uh, this evening that we've all watched um, and we're going to start with VHS Forever the psychotronic people from uh, 2014 um, which is directed by Mark Williams and lots of talking heads including our very own James Mullinger mm-hmm. so how did you get involved with this project James? Uh, well funny enough I, I pretty much know everyone in it that is pretty much my circle of collecting buddies my dad's a collector uh, of various things and has been very supportive of me collecting stuff especially as a kid didn't have many friends so when I discovered a passion for VHS which began at age 7 or 8 I found a um Radio, it was before we even had a VHS player, I found a Radio Rentals catalogue. And I would cut out the covers and stick them in. I was just obsessed. I mean, the same story you hear from all VHS collectors, the, the beautiful smell in the video shop, the smell of the smoky, the smoke embedded in the clamshell cases, the artwork. I would stare at these covers, you know, for hours and hours in the video shops. And it was just this, it was this magical, mystical world was, uh, were video shops. And um, my dad took me to uh, Camden Town, to the Electric Ballroom, where they had a movie fair on, a collector's fair, which where I uh, con- would where I continued to go until the week before I moved to Canada, and often think about flying back to go to these amazing uh, fairs. All of those guys I, I know from there, and Mark is someone I've known for years. Uh, he used to buy stuff from my store. We would swap. I, I used to sell as well, so I know all these guys. And uh, a couple of years ago, I was in London for a week, and they said, "Oh, if you're over, do you want to be interviewed for this?" So we shot it at the Cinema Museum, which is an amazing place in uh, uh, Elephant and Castle. Not many people know it's there, and you can make an appointment and go and have a tour. And it is the—it's Ronald Grant owns it, and his partner Martin Humphreys uh, uh, run it. Well, they run it together, and it is the most. Basically, Ronald Grant has the biggest collection of memorabilia anywhere, and it is built in in Charlie Chaplin's old workhouse. And they, but they don't just have every single poster and movie still ever. But they do have that. But they also have like if you go in and say, oh, I used to go to the uh, this ABC Cinema in Eastbourne in 1982. He'll go, I've got a chair from that. <laughs> uh, or I've got, like literally, it's amazing, and not many people know about it. And it's beautiful. You can get in get in contact with them. Anyway, sorry, cut a long story short. I know all these guys from that. So, so we filmed the, we filmed my my scenes in there. I'd been to a good friend of mine's birthday party the night before. I may or may not have been to bed. I may or may not have been drinking Red Stripe at ten in the morning to do uh, the interview. But it was an absolute joy to uh, talk about VHS, and of, of course they shot it on VHS, so it has that uh, effect. But I mean, yeah, and a lot of those guys in there, I I, I remember seeing, you know, being at fairs, them getting raided, the police stealing their stuff. And weirdly now, I mean, I obviously uh, I do collect the video nasties and stuff. But I what I love is I used to love bootlegs. So now I like buying shitty bootlegs with dodgy covers, like the old days, and uh, of movies you couldn't get. Obviously, I'm not I'm not endorsing piracy of of, of movies. I'm uh, talking about films you can't get or a band. Obviously, disclaimer. Um, but um, so for me now, I mean, like as you know, I mean, I, I obviously have I bought The Force Awakens on Blu-ray, and I also, of course, have Netflix, and of course, I saw it at the cinema twice. Uh, but uh, there's a guy now that sold, he's uh, selling these uh, like VHS copies of it, where he's added like really bad flicker to it. That's how I choose to watch it. Um, I'm, I'm obsessed with VHS, uh, and I, I love it for that and many other reasons. How, how about you, Dave? Well, the uh, the documentary. Yeah, yeah, and 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 you know, how it kind of uh, affected you as someone that obviously was in those video shops and stuff back in the day. Yeah, well, unlike you, I never went to those fairs. And hearing you tell those amazing stories, I am a little bit jealous. But my my main memory of VHS is again, it was thanks to my dad, similar to you. He bought a job lot of 
X Rentals from an auction in about 1985, I guess, right, right. when I was about seven. And uh, it, out of the lot he bought, maybe he got, say, 50 titles, and, and most of them were forgettable, unknown stuff. Yeah. The, the, the main one that I remember was Star Trek II Wrath of Khan. That's, the, that's, the, that's one of the very few that I actually still think stands up as a good film. I agree. I have it on Betamax, actually, as well. Yeah, on Betamax. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But it was, you know, it was quite a creepy film at that age as well. Yeah, big time. But weirdly enough, I was thinking about this this lot of videos that you bought last night, trying to remember them. And there was one in particular I could visualise the cover, and it was a it was a cheeky guy with a Mohican haircut between um, some buttocks. No. And, yeah, yeah. And then watch, and you showed it was Party Animal. Yes. Yeah, that, unbelievable. That is absolutely insane. Given, I mean, literally, that's the one I used to stare at all the time yep. in the video shop. Like that, that was in my dad's collection. I wasn't allowed to watch Party Animal, but, oh, but yeah, I, I remember looking at that cover. What was it like knowing it was in the house, but you couldn't watch it? Frustrating. I wasn't even allowed to watch Split either, which he had. Oh, I've got that too. You've got Split. Yes. <laughs> in fact, those are t- I have, I have uh, literally tens of thousands of VHS, and I have about six on display. And Party Animal and Split are the two. Oh, no way. Because uh, tr- Split was the one I saw a trailer for and became obsessed with and would stare at. Party Animal, <coughs> of course, just has the greatest artwork of any DVD, of any VHS ever. And I actually posted. Um, that on Instagram, a uh, picture of it. And a guy commented that his university lecturer in Pennsylvania is the main guy in it, that guy that's <laughs> on the cover. <laughs> and of course, like and of course I said, I want this guy's email. I want to get in touch. So I want I want I want him to sign my cover. And it's like if you said to me, Oh James Matthew McConaughey's downstairs, I'd go, Oh, give us a fuck. But if you told me like and I want to get on a plane and go and visit the geezer that was in Party Animal. I don't know, it's just something, it's a childhood thing. But um that is, I can't believe that. What is the chance of splits and party out? My my favourite thing in that in the documentary is the guy when he describes um, going to like a lock up for, a, for an old video store in Leytonstone, and he describes it as fucking Nirvana. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That That just slayed me. I don't think I saw, heard anything else for the next time. I just couldn't stop laughing. He was absolutely priceless, that guy. Isn't it Colin Stone that says that? It's in the fair that that keeps swearing. Yeah. Yeah, Colin Stone, really good mate of mine. And uh, funny enough, actually, I was at a fair with him in about 2000. Uh, Actually, it was a a film festival, but also film fair. But it was a film festival in Wellington Garden City, and there was two guests. It was Bill Lustig, director of Maniac, and Claudio Simonetti, the, the musician that did the soundtrack for all the great horror movies. And they were showing back-to-back horror movies from like midday till midnight. I think the last movie was actually the Canadian classic My Bloody Valentine being shown on the big screen in England uncut for the first time. Anyway, I being me being me, I start drinking at 12. I mean, I am annihilated. But, and I remember poor Colin Stone had to carry me to a train, get me home. I, I actually don't remember anything. Um, but good times. Um, but yeah, so for me, I mean, that movie is, is brilliant. And of course, you know, but, you know, no one's going to, you know, no one's going to give it five stars for production values, but that was never the intention. Uh, it's, a, it's a piece of passion. And of course, I mean, for my part personally, what a, a dream come true to be in a film with Lloyd Kaufman, my hero. Absolutely. And that moves us on nicely from the kind of the love letter to VHS yeah. to VHS Massacre. 
and yeah, the decline the of physical media, the yeah. trauma documentary. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed this. Um, for for a trauma production, it was really really good. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, watch it. <laughs> <laughs> so you're right. I mean, it, it's beautifully structured, um, and of course, you know, there are moments when they uh, veer uh, into trauma story uh, more, so which is fair enough. I mean, it's their, it's, it's, it's their, it's their production. Um, but I mean, basically, I think it's difficult for me to be uh, balanced when I'm talking because I can listen to pretty much anyone that's passionate about VHS. I can listen to them talk about VHS for hours. Uh, but I, but I agree, it it, it it does feel like a very accessible documentary for people and it, and it, it tells the story and uh, I mean I just I also love it when you get that footage of of video shops back in the day in fact I'm actually going on holiday where it's my wife and I's um, anniversary the 10th wedding anniversary this weekend so we're going to Miami and she doesn't know yet but I found out there's actually a, someone's opened a video shop in Fort Lauderdale which I think is like an hour's drive away or something from there so I'm going to go to this video shop and of course it's just some mental geezer like me that's probably renting <laughs> hemorrhaging money like renting out two videos a week but you know what i mean if i had a video shop near me i'd frequent it and, and that's what i love about this film is that it's again it's people that love vhs and i should also mention i mentioned it earlier but for anyone that is interested in documentaries about vhs adjust your tracking is spectacular um but yeah what do you guys think of it dave yeah i liked i liked the vhs massacre as well very interesting again it is it, a certain type of man isn't it it's a very male thing that and you see these same uh, similar characters popping up on both sides of the Atlantic in in both VHS Forever and VHS Massacre. Mm, that's it. It's a uh, it, it's it's a fascinating. Well, I mean, it's it, it's kind of interesting that um, I don't know if this is a weird thing to say, but uh, it, generally in the horror collecting community and the VHS collecting community and and trauma fans generally have have a look. And I don't feel like I uh, which you know which is not you know but. It's weird because I don't feel like I... I get me, they kind of look like uh, heavy metal fans, right? Yeah. Heavy metal fans all look the same. And it's weird. I'm a massive heavy metal fan, massive trauma fan, massive VHS fan. But I don't think if you look at me, you would necessarily know that. Although that said, all of that said, um, and I guess what I mean by that is I don't have tattoos. And it's generally, almost everyone I know who is a huge trauma fan has a lot of tattoos, which uh, which is great. But it's just... Funny that I um I don't. But that said, when I met Samuel L. Jackson three years ago, uh, last night to the night actually three years ago yesterday, uh, and of course, what do you say to Samuel L. Jackson when you meet him? I said, oh, I've, I've been I've wanted to meet you for years. I'm the biggest fan of Death by Temptation, which is of course a trauma film, and uh, and Samuel L. Jackson just turned to me and in his you know brilliant voice when uh, I knew you were going to say that, <laughs> and and, and, uh, and I, I I basically obviously take it as a compliment but i think it was meant as an insult like i think it was meant like a prick like you of course you do <laughs> uh, but um uh, but no fascinating fascinating film. so for those kind of this this vhs massacre the, the documentary it kind of charts the downfall of vhs and then in turn the downfall of of, of dvd as well and, and and explores how people are going to get their content into people's homes and the thing that struck me and i always moan about is that when you used to go to video shops, you you could literally spend ages in there looking at the covers, mulling over what you were going to watch, and and you and you don't get that experience anymore. And then I suddenly realised I've just spent twenty five minutes flicking through Netflix covers, yeah. so you can, in a way, 
Yeah, it's just less pleasurable. In the video shop, it was really fun walking around trying to pick something. Although maybe there was an element of frustration. Maybe I'm just looking at it through rose-tinted spectacles. It was frustrating because you did want something good. And it's the same now. Like my wife says, find something good. And I feel a huge amount of pressure flicking through Netflix, trying to find something good. But the big problem now is, and I touched upon this earlier, and I mean, I, I, I should say, I mean, I'm not, as I say, I'm not saying Whiplash and those things on, I'm not saying they're bad films, they're just fucking boring. Um, but, um, but I've seen the first 10 minutes of about a million films now. Well, back in 10 years ago, when I rented a movie, you can bet your bottom dollar I was always gonna watch it to the end. Whereas now I start a film on Netflix and I, I, if, if, it's not, if, it's, if it's not crank, I basically turn it off after 10 minutes. I don't know about you, Dave, but if I rented a film back in the day, I'd watch it two or three times before it had to go back. I was about to say the very same thing, yeah. Yeah. Three times, take it back to TVC. Sometimes <laughs> even watch the, the trailers twice. Yes, I agree. Was... No, I mean, you're absolutely right. Oh. You would want your money's worth, but when would you ever watch a film on Netflix and then start it all over again? Never. No, I mean, unless it was more banded. I think I need to see more banded, though. Oh, you got to. <laughs> it's, a piece, it's a thing of beauty. Um, I've, I've got a great question for you. Can you. I mean, for me and Dave, this might be impossible, but James, you might be able to remember. What was the last film you rented? Oh, well, you know what? It, it's easy because we actually. I was actually going to say this. The weird thing is here, there are still rental shops here. And it might be that they're just part of the shop, but down the road from me, there is a, a gas station that rents DVDs. And I do rent, there was a movie, uh, again, I mean, this says more about me, there was a movie with James Purifoy that got one star in Empire, got a beautifully, brilliantly bad review. It was supposed to be the start of a franchise, and it, was, and it had Olga in it from James Bond. Uh, Momentum, right? Yeah, I, you told me this story before, and I went straight out and got Momentum to watch. <laughs> and I'm, okay, so I don't want to tell I was doing it, but basically, <laughs> but I, I went there and I just thought, well, I, I, I want to watch it on DVD, I don't want to watch it. I don't want to vod it or whatever. Um, so I went to, so the, and then I think I, I went to Knock Knock as well, because I didn't want to pay 16 bucks to buy Knock Knock. I mean, I, I, I still, so I can still do that. And equally, I can also peruse for VHS. I mean, here's a weird one for you. There's an amazing magazine. Uh, uh, there's a guy called, there's, there's a Lunch Me, which is, uh, a, I believe I'm right in saying it's part of, uh, it's not part of, VHS is Dead is an amazing uh, Twitter account and business that people should follow. VHS is Dead. Uh, a guy called Rod Ladden runs it. I recently bought a bootleg off, off him, a VHS of uh, Last House on Dead End Street. Now, there is... Now, on Blu-ray, I wanted to see it on VHS. I'd never seen it. It was one of those movies which uh, was banned for years. It's, uh, you know, people thought it was a snuff movie for many years. Fascinating watch. Uh, there's a magazine called Lunch Meat. Uh, 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 VHS Lives... Uh, it's, it's Lunch Meet VHS. It's a printed magazine, beautiful, glossy thing. I ordered a copy online from the from the editor, Josh Schaefer. Amazing magazine. And there was there's reviews of VHS tapes in it, like old ones, obviously. And there's a review of um, that film. Now, I can't remember the name. The film that the kid from E.T. did, The Quest. I think it had a different title in England. It was, it was called... Oh, um, uh, Frog Dreaming. Yes. And yeah. The kid from the kid. Yeah. And it's it, and it's he goes on an adventure. The kid from and anyway, there's a review of the VHS in there. And I went out that day weirdly to my local value village, which, like I say, is like North American Oxfam, and picked up the quest on VHS. And I thought, how bloody great is this? I've just sat at home, read a magazine on VHS, and I've come out and bought a copy of a VHS I read about. So, uh, so I am still doing it. Dave, how? Well, can you remember the last title you managed to rent? I think it was Fahrenheit 9 11. 
Wow. Michael, Michael Moore documentary. Wow. That, that, that would have been about towards the end of the era, wouldn't it? That was about yeah. 2003, three, four. Sure, it would have been that. No, it would have been on DVD. No, that was that would have been on VHS. I'd never oh. rented the DVD. That would have been a rent on VHS. Oh, you legend. You never rented a DVD. Never rented the DVD. <laughs> what? No. Salute, sir. No, thank you very much. <laughs> That's blown my so, mind. Oh, oh, I've got to tell you this, guys. Sorry. I, I don't know if you saw this. I, maybe you didn't see it, but it went. It was a thing on Facebook I did about a joke video clip called Maritime Directions. But you, it's on YouTube now. James Ryan's Maritime Directions. But there's a bit where. I'm outside an old blockbuster, right near where I live. An old blockbuster video. It's still empty. I noticed there's a load of uh, shelves still in there. Well, the, all the shelves are still in there. Anyway, I get in touch with the, uh, my mate of mine knows the owner of the of the mall where it is. He said I can have all the blockbuster shelves, so I can literally turn oh. my basement into blockbuster. Nice. I mean, oh, sorry, I had to share that. I mean, I haven't no, told anyone. So it's so exciting. On a similar theme, James, there's a. a a abandoned, not an abandoned, but there's a, a blockbuster around the corner from my flat here, right. and it's been taken over by a bookshop, and they've just changed the font a little bit and called it Bookbuster. No way! Yeah, Genius. I'll send you. I'll, I'll send you a photo of that. <laughs> oh, that is. I like that a lot. That is gorgeous. I, I can't remember mine. Honestly, I, I genuinely cannot remember the last thing. I even looked in my VHS box actually to see what the last tape I bought, and. Right. It looks like it was a limited edition train spotting with the green artwork instead of the orange. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That. that was a long time ago. That that was in that era when VHS kind of had extras, like additional features. Yes. And didn't that didn't that, ha- didn't that have the the video from um, the PFI project as like a? I think it was numbered. That? It had. I think you got some sunglasses and you got some extras on mm. the tape. Yeah, there was the there was that original teaser trailer, right? Of of him lying on the train track was on it. That was it. Um, I mean, uh, yeah, it's um, I mean, I, it, it's weird. But the thing that comes up a lot in these VH documentaries, which I find fascinating, is that we all look back on blockbuster days through rose tinted spectacles. I think this is more of an American thing, and you hear this in all the American documentaries that you know, uh, the blockbuster was essentially you know evil. It came in to crush you know mum and pop stores and all the rest of it. And I think obviously in America. That whole mom and pop store thing was far bigger. I mean, of course, we had independent video shops. And actually, in my town where I grew up, uh, Video 83 and Maidenhead was, again, weirdly, through the wonders of social media, I now met, I met the woman recently online who owned it, her family owned it. And I mean, that was my, that was my nirvana. That was my magical um, emporium. But yeah, the, but we look back on Blockbuster as the wonder. You know, and I look back on my time at university as, as you know, spent most of my time walking on Blockbuster mm-hmm. trying to pick what I was going to rent. But um, but essentially, it was evil because it crushed all the other stores. Dave, do you remember the um, there was a VHS rental shop in Queens Road, um, just opposite where Safeways is now and up a little bit. Well, that guy in there, anyway. The story being, he he used to give us like tapes from under the counter. And he lent me and my mate Rob this thing, which was one of these like I don't know, like fake snuff movies. With all these there's all these bikers running around, and then they they tie this woman up and start chopping her limbs off. Well, I was only like I think 15 or 16, and me and my mate Rob Kane were absolutely fucking mortified by this mm. thing. I'd never seen anything like it. I we actually we thought it was real because we were kids. What was it? Was that last house on Dead End Street? Oh, I don't know, mate. Just, do they do they tie a woman down at the end and then chop her up? Yeah. Oh, well, it could be that then. That, that, that's it. Um, uh, was it with the Americans or because uh, because there's, there's obviously that one the guinea pig film that Charlie Sheen notoriously thought was snuff, 
and told the police, and that was guinea pig. Um, it looked like it was set in South America. There was all these bikers. It made no sense. There was no story, oh, and then they suddenly had this woman tied down, and they started chopping bits off. Oh, my God. It was... I mean, to be honest, this could, we might have to cut this bit, because I think, actually, that might be real, mate. What? <laughs> Are you serious? Well, well, I don't know, because, I mean, I mean, I, I, I know the, the plot of most of those films. I thought all, and I've never heard of a biker one. Right. It did look real. We did wonder how they had the effects back then. But I hate to tell you that you were right to be horrified, mate. You were watching Snuff as a teenager. <laughs> but you talk about things that you thought were real. I mean, when I was a kid, I was too young to understand what the video nasties meant. Right. And because they had that term attached to it, and because I knew that the police were involved, there was something so naughty about owning a video nasty, oh, or in, even watching like a third generation pirate of it. And I, I, at that age, at that very young age, I genuinely thought, well, they must be real. They must be real horror stories Same. that they've caught on film. Same, exactly what I thought. I mean, because why else would they be reacting like that? But you're right. Yeah. That's actually something we haven't touched upon. I mean, that was... It was the, the frisson of excitement of putting a tape in, knowing, you know, what was on, you know, knowing that you had this thing that you weren't supposed to have. I mean, there's nothing like it. And the fact that now, I mean, we've talked about this before on Fred's pocket um, in the first episode, but the fact that, you know, that now all of this stuff is right there. And I guess this is kind of more on the point about the decline of, of media and so forth. Like, I, I, I signed up for that amazing, what's the Troma website called? Um, Troma Now? Troma Now, yeah, which is their, their Netflix, basically. It was interesting what Lloyd was telling us about how, you know, Netflix and all these other outlets basically screw them over. They come along and they say, oh, hi, we're little Netflix, we're new. Can we have your films for free? And then when things get good, we'll give you some money. And then they become huge and then don't pay them. And right, right you know, I mean, again, I know it's not me disparaging Netflix. I don't know how the workings of that business work, but that was Lloyd's story. And um, so they basically have set up their own Troma Netflix where you go and you pay five bucks a month and you've got access to all their stuff. But um, I, I, I mean, I, I did watch a couple of things on there um, and I will stay a member forever. But for me personally, I, I want to own the physical thing or not. And, and I want to put it in and that, that could be DVD or, or VHS. Um, but it's huge part of that uh, is the case for me. So for me, I mean, physical media will never decline, even when everything's available to, you know, just click of a button. There's no fun in that to me. No, I was looking yesterday, actually, for Toxic Avenger Laserdiscs. Oh, wow. Nice. <laughs> nice. I've moved on from VHS, boys. I've got right. a new fangled Laserdisc player. <laughs> that is awesome. I have, I have a, a, an amazing guy I met on Instagram. Uh, I should say at this point, if anyone is interested in my collection, do go to at Tromaville, Tromaville Citizen uh, Instagram and also Tromaville Citizen on Facebook. That is where I've been all the pictures from my collection. I met a guy. Again, I'm a trauma fan. He said, I've got a spare Wizards of the Demon Sword laser disc, which is a brilliant trauma film with Michael Berryman and uh, makes uh, Nymphoid Barbarian and Dinosaur Hell look high budget. Um, uh, and I have that on laser disc. So uh, when I come to England, mate, and we meet up for our session, I'll bring it. Cool. Should we speak to Lloyd Kaufman? Let's do it. Let's, let's speak to Lloyd Kaufman. Our Underground Nights guest this evening is a producer, director, screenwriter, editor, composer, author, actor, and above all, a renegade. He's president and co-founder of Troma Entertainment, 
one of the last bastions of indie low-budget exploitation films. With hundreds of IMDb credits from acting, producing, directing and writing, we are truly honoured and humbled to be joined by Mr Lloyd Kaufman. Good evening, Lloyd. Wow. Hey, how's that for an intro? <clears throat> that, was, um, that was the only intro I've heard that's better than that was when uh, Meryl Streep introduced James Mullinger at the Cat Tranquilizer uh, convention in uh, New Brunswick. <laughs> that was an amazing introduction. And uh, Dylan is here with me, Dylan Greenberg, and uh, we are uh, we, we're speechless. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you, Dylan. Thank you, um, Our podcast is known as being slightly shambolic, so, um, yeah, we're, we're going to get on famously tonight. How did you and Paul and James, how did you two uh, get together? That's a very good question because we, uh, despite both being from uh, close-ish parts of of England, we uh, only met um, online once I moved to Canada. And it was basically through um, our love of low-budget British gangster movies. And Paul Paul does another podcast, which he interviewed me for because I wrote a book about a British actor called Danny Dyer. (laughs) And uh, we did this incident, realized we had this love of um, similar types of movies. So we thought, let's do a new podcast called Underground Nights, where we just celebrate everything that we love. So we are like like best mates, but we've never physically met. This nope. is the modern world. That's terrific. That is. I wish uh, I could be married uh, and not have ever met my wife. Actually, <laughs> forty-two. I've been married forty-two years. Wouldn't it be great if uh, I never met her? And we were married. <laughs> oh my now, life! Dylan, Dylan, Dylan is the second recipient of the Trauma Institute for Gifted Youth. Dylan was uh, how old were you when you started here? Um, seventeen. Seventeen, and he won the uh, the uh, that award. I've, I've watched. Yeah. Dylan, have you watched Dylan's film, James? Is it Dark yeah, Prison? I've watched both. I've watched both of them. I've seen seen two of his films, and this is the wonderful thing about this podcast is that I've been a fan of Lloyd for you know close to thirty years, and um, so I'm kind of like Lloyd's probably the person that's been my hero the longest, and the person I've been a fan of the shortest is is Dylan. And I only I've been friends with Dylan online for over a year, but have only watched his work in the last week and loved it. So this is a beautiful way to to meet both of you properly. Well, I'll tell you what, Paul. Uh, after this podcast, you're not going to be a fan of me anymore. Oh, not true. We're going to come to this later, but we've been watching some of the work from, from a few of the young trauma people. Uh, and I think this week I watched the film uh, from Kansas Bowling, BC yes. Butcher, which, yeah, it was great fun. Well, she's not in Kansas anymore, uh, Fido. <laughs> she's not. Lloyd, would it, would it be... I know you've been asked this a million times, but would, would you be gracious enough to kind of give us a little bit of trauma history and how you how you started out and let our friends in the uk know you know how it all started for you and i I know a big thing for you is that you're not a massive fan of the studio system and how you kind of rebelled against them yes uh i made the mistake of going to yale university uh james uh, yale is similar to uh it's not similar but it's uh, what what we consider uh cambridge or oxford uh, that's the american uh I don't think Yale is as good, uh, but um, I went there. And, well, J- uh, James went to Maidenhead Polytechnic. <laughs> oh, nice. I did. <laughs> but I, 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 I know Yale's reputation. I know it's uh, extremely well, prestigious. And Maidenhead has the word head in it, so that's good. <laughs> <in anybody. laughs> 
in any event, uh, I was going to be a social worker or a teacher. I wanted to do something useful with my life and uh, teach people for, with hooks for hands how to finger paint or uh, teach bums how to paint happy faces on beads, things like that. But uh, at Yale, my first year, I was placed in a room with a movie uh, nut, the, the guy who ran the Yale Film Society. And um, I started drifting into the movies that the Film Society was showing. And uh, he was, and the, uh, there was another guy, the, probably the only two out of my class of a thousand at Yale. They, these were the only two uh, who were interested in movies. And um, they, um, uh, they uh, kept showing these uh, great uh, movies by John Ford and Howard Hawks and Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton and Stan Brakhage and, and, and Fritz Lang and Sam Fuller and, you know, uh, Claude Chabrol. Jean-Luc Godard, blah, blah, blah. And I just kept getting knocked out by uh, by these movies. And our bedroom uh, were, it was very small, and our beds were head to toe. And at night, I would inhale his uh, Godard stinking feet, and uh, the aroma <laughs> du trauma was born. I just kept getting knocked out by, uh, by um, these great movies. And I speak for, oh, boy, am I boring, but uh, I speak French, and they had a load of these uh, magazines, <clears throat> the Cahier, Cahier du Cinéma, uh, which is the uh, the magazine of the French Cinémathèque. And since I am uh, a, a, a epitome of bourgeoisie, I speak French. And uh, I started reading those magazines. And the articles were written by journalists uh, who were um, Claude Chabrol and uh, Godard and Melville. And, and they, not Herman, but the other Melville, um, the lesser one, and they were uh, journalists who were evolving into filmmakers, and they propounded the auteur theory of cinema. So I bought into that. I stupidly bought into that. Uh, uh, you know, made the mistake of um, embracing the auteur theory of cinema, which suggests that the uh, director should be the author of the movie and be in total control of the movie, and that the movie. F- should uh, should it's more important that the movie de- reflect the uh, the brain, soul, and heart of the filmmaker rather than uh, it make money or um, uh, attract a big public. And uh, how stupid was I? Uh, it was totally idiotic. And I had one last chance. I had one last chance. Uh, uh, the year I graduated, James, um, I had two job offers. I had one in, uh, job offer in California. Uh, I could have worked on um, The Owl and the Pussycat, which was a movie by Columbia Pictures starring Barbara Streisand. And the other job I was offered was with a shitty little uh, exploitation company in New York called Cannon. And I took acid. And uh, that (laughs) night uh, on acid, I chose the stupid little crappy uh, independent uh, uh, movie studio uh, and um, um, and gave up my opportunity to work with the whiniest uh, actor in the history of cinema, uh, Barbara Streisand. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and instead uh, uh, inspired the lives of so many. And it's interesting. I mean, I've, I've read everything uh, about you, I thought. But the fact that you were possibly looking into going into social work, I would argue you have in many ways uh, become a social worker. I myself uh, was a very depressed, suicidal uh, teenager with no friends, uh, n- no academic 
qualities at all, no sporting uh, abilities. And uh, and literally the thing that's got me through my teenage years and still gets me through. And now my life's pretty good. I'm 38. I've, I've got a good life. But the thing that got me through those years as a 12 year old through till now was trauma movies, was you. And having spoken to other trauma fans around the world, I know you're good friends with another friend of mine, Liam Regan. Uh, yes. We had very similar experiences as uh, as teenagers. And uh, so I would argue that. Um, you know, maybe you joke about the fact that it was a stupid decision and maybe that's the case financially or whatever else. But the reality is, if you wanted to inspire people and make people happy and and, and make our lives better, that's exactly what you did. And I can't thank you enough for everything you've done for me personally. Well, James, your words are wonderful. They're better than getting a, a BAMP for an Oscar. I'm very appreciative if you could see... Uh, my um, erection has uh, never had such a big one. Uh, Dylan, don't look. Away, Dylan. Dylan, you bad boy. Bad girl. Bad girl. Um, sorry. Bad girl. So instead of, instead of teaching the people with hooks for hands and uh, teaching the bums how to paint happy faces on beads, I, I eventually, uh, around my second year at Yale, I decided I wanted to film them and... Uh, Give what I have to the uh, movie-going audience. So the uh, it uh, it's uh, it's uh, I guess the fact that I went to Yale really is what I didn't really look at movies when I was uh, young. Mm. I I wanted to uh, enjoy the uh, the comedy of James Mullinger, but uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, this was before uh, the uh, you know 1968. It was before the uh, the internet, so I couldn't find James Mullinger. How, you're about 80 years old, right, James? <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. No, I'm a fan of yours. Don't worry. Oh, no. no that's, uh, honestly, I can't tell you how much that means to me. Um, yeah. And honestly, like, I know, I know a lot of people kind of say to you how much you know, you've inspired them and so forth. And obviously, for me, it's kind of has two facets. It has the kind of side whereby you have you know, brought joy into my life almost every day uh, of, of my life from you know, 12 to 38. And now I have a five-year-old son who loves his, his Toxic Crusader toy. He, I must admit, because the BBFC slashed the, the 18 certificate Toxic Avenger VHS release so dramatically, I show, my five-year-old son has seen it because it's basically a PG, right? Or maybe I'm a terrible father, I don't know. Um, but but th th that's one facet. The other facet is that my entire kind of career and everything I've done, it was also inspired by this. You know, I was... 12 years old, the British film critic Barry Norman told me if I wanted to become a film critic, I had to uh, create my own magazine or do something myself. So I created the Wild Wild World of Troma Inc., which was my fanzine I was doing for, for a couple of years. The Dark Side reviewed it and so forth. And then you and I met at a premiere at uh, the Prince Charles Cinema. I was 14 or 15. It was either, uh, I can't remember which one you were over for, but it was either Chopper Chicks in Zombie Town or uh, Blondes Have More Fun. But I was at both of those. And uh, and you and I did an interview. My dad filmed it, and 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 this interview ran in my fanzine. And then when I took the uh, the journalism course at the Maidenhead Polytechnic, I did uh, <laughs> the, the, I did the, the the Wild Wild World of Trauma as my as my kind of final paper, and received a distinction for it, which basically led into a fifteen year journalism career uh and then of course have kind of through stand-up kind of steered into into you know doing film stuff as well so i mean quite literally like 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 my my path uh both kind of emotionally and literally 
uh, has been steered by your support, but also your uh, uh, your work that has inspired me. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be sound too sycophantic, but uh, you know, this is a great moment for me just just talking to you. Well, you well, wet the you. bed last night, James. Mm. You were so excited. <laughs> that is true. I was masturbating furiously all night. My wife, my wife woke up and said, did, did, uh, did, did, have the Ghostbusters been in here? And I just said, no, I'm sorry. You were swimming in my semen. Uh, well, uh, you've made a goat very happy. With the new Ghostbusters, I believe it's actually sea women. Uh-oh. Oh, ouch. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my producer's going to kill me when he hears all this. <laughs> well, um, James, uh, you know, Troma has discovered a lot of talent, and Dylan is a very talented uh, young woman, and uh, um, as is Kansas Bowling. And I think that uh, they will follow in the footsteps of, uh, of you and uh, James Gunn and Trey Parker and Matt Stone. And, and Liam Regan, by the way, is very, very talented. He's yeah, great. Yeah, we just showed banjo at the Trauma Dance Film Festival here in New York. Uh, we had our 17th year of Trauma Dance Film Festival. It's totally free. And by the way, James, let me just mention one thing before I forget. Um, I took a lot of cat tranquilizer this morning, and I'm, I'm having my mind is wandering. Um, we have a channel on YouTube, James, called Trauma Movies on YouTube, and all the Toxic Crusader cartoons are there. Oh, uh, so wow. you're, you you can get it all for free. Um, it's Troma Movies on YouTube, and we put up new material just about every day to thank our fans for uh, supporting us for over 40 years. We did it at when we turned 40. And uh, they're the Toxic Crusader cartoons, uh, 300 movies, uh, Doggy Tales, if your son likes dogs. We, yeah. made a, um, we did a children's movie called Doggy Tales years ago. Uh, in fact, James Gunn and Jenna Fisher are voices on it, and uh, your your son, I think, would very much like, if he likes doggies, uh, he yeah. might like Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
like Doggy Tales, but the Toxie cartoons are terrific. Well, Lloyd, we were going to touch upon the the kind of legacy and collaborators with um, Troma, um, and you mentioned a couple of them there, sort of Trey Parker, James Gunn. Uh, are proud for those guys that have gone on and and you know forged amazing careers in Hollywood. Well, uh, certainly they owe it all to me, but um, they're so ungrateful. They don't uh, send me money. They don't, uh, you know what I mean? (laughs) I'd sort of, I'm uh, getting smaller and smaller in their rear view mirrors. (laughs) I mean, I I only go to see, uh, there's certain type of movies I like, and I must admit, and it's not, I'm not disparaging these, these films, and I don't, I tend to not disparage things that I don't like, but I personally don't really like superhero movies. I, you know, they, to me, they're all the same, and I'm not saying that people that like them are, are morons, but, but they are. Um, and, but, I mean, I, 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 uh, and I, I went to see Guardians of the Galaxy at the cinema purely because someone told me that you were in it. <laughs> well, I think I, I, Gar- I, I, I thought Guardians of the Galaxy was terrific. I, don't, I also don't like those superheroes. I can't sit through the Batman movies anymore. Yeah. They're horrible, and uh, but I thought Guardians of the Galaxy was uh, crazy and uh, sweet and uh, and sentimental and um, the dark. I thought it had everything going for it. It had a great sound, uh, especially and you know it's funny. I meet young filmmakers who they say they show, I, you know I look at their movie and then they start making excuses and they say, well, you know I only spent ten thousand dollars on the movie. You know I don't usually say anything about the movie, but they always say. Well, I think it's a good movie, but I only spent $10,000 on it. You know, with the, the Gal- Guardians of the Galaxy, I sort of want to say, I think it's a good movie in spite of the fact that they spent $200 million on it. <laughs> you know, it's kind of weird. But it is. It's terrific. Com- considering that they spent $200 million on it and they have to be all things to all people in order to uh, c- come close to breaking even, I, I thought it was really terrific. I, yeah, I, however, I, I'm very bitter that um, I'm not in the um, the sequel, the volume two. Uh, yeah. Which is a shame because, as I say, it means that I, that I won't go. And this is and and, and you know. <laughs> 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 well, you're not alone. There'll be other. I'm sure there are going to be six or seven other people who are going <laughs> to. Can I just say, actually, it's funny you mentioned about the Toxic Avenger cartoons being online, because I do uh, I do obviously visit the, the Troma YouTube channel, but traditionally only if I'm on the road and don't have my collection with me, because I am still, uh, well, I, I, I was going to say quite traditional, but very traditional in that I've watched DVDs and Blu-rays, but I would always rather watch a VHS. So, I mean, I, my son and I watched Toxic Crusaders on, v, on, a, on a VHS tape, and for the most part, I would always rather watch a film. To the extent there are people online selling films, I, I watched that movie Bone Tomahawk on Blu-ray, but I, it, there's something missing. I loved it, but there's something missing. So I found a guy that was selling VHS versions of it online, so I bought the VHS so I could watch it on VHS. Um, so for me, even though I love uh, the way in which you've kind of branched out and you do these gifts for your fans, and for me, I, I was in Montreal a few weeks ago and I, I was in a hotel room all day, so I watched Night Beast through your YouTube channel, which again, extremely generously is there for free. But if I'm at home, I would always rather watch the VHS of it. Good news, uh, good news, James. Uh, our uh, uh, Blu-rays that we're making, um, they look like shitty VHS. <laughs> so... Uh, don't hesitate to watch the uh, Blu-rays of Return to Return to Newcom High uh, Volume Two. <laughs> yeah, because Lloyd, can I can I just ask? I'm sure you've been on record as saying that VHS is pretty shitty. 
No. Yes. No. Yes. I, 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 I feel that. I much hey, prefer, sorry, James. I, I much prefer. Uh, there's this hot new medium called laser disc. I, I think it's going to catch on. Hey, I've got one of those. I'm I'm in the market for some uh, toxy blue for, for some toxy laser discs. <laughs> Actually, it, it, it's funny you mention that, right? I mean, I'm sh- and, and and I obviously own all, all the Blu-rays, and and ninety percent of them actually do look great. But there, there was, and I wasn't going to even bring this up, but but there was obviously controversy about the Rabid Granny's uh, Blu-ray release. What's your feeling when something like that happens? Because you are obviously very loyal to your fans, and your fans generally don't get upset. But that was something which you know, I I bought it. I didn't personally have a problem because I wanted to see all of that gore in one place together. Um, but there were, I don't know what these people were, Blu-ray purists, whatever they are, that, um, that had an issue with the quality. But what, what's your kind of uh, feeling about that? Uh, I was surprised at that myself because we're totally incompetent. We fucked up uh, of, from the beginning of DVD and Blu-ray. We've made the huge mistakes and put them on upside down and out of sync and the wrong version. <laughs> I'm amazed that they, they even bother to... Uh, by the time Rapid Granny's Blu-ray came along, I was surprised anybody was on the other end of the phone. We're constantly incompetent. That's uh, forty-two years of that, as a matter of fact. Is that is that? But, but that that's clearly a um, a problem with it's it's that thing of it's um a negative side of being successful. Like suddenly, you know, uh, when Rapid Granny's came out in in the eighties, I'm sure Dylan was watching it. I was watching it, and and you know, um, Liam Regan was watching it. Like you know, we we're not minded that way. But then suddenly it becomes a, a cult favorite, a cult classic, and then it gets released, and and you think it's going to go just to the fans, but instead it goes to all these people who've heard about this movie, and because they're all pricks, they can complain about that. So uh, it's, well, it, maybe it's actually a sign of being successful that that. Uh, that may well be. Uh, we live in a well. We are incompetent. There's no question about it. So uh, I, I, I have to correct you to that part of it. But uh, there, there, we certainly live in an age of snark. Uh, every little kid, uh, every pimply fat teenager's got a uh, blog in his mother's basement and is uh, bad mouthing somebody. Uh, yeah, it's true. <laughs> so it's a part of the. Uh, a, and and you know they don't they. It's very hard for anyone to realize how difficult it is for trauma because we have no revenue. Uh, nobody's really, uh, uh, you know, we have no alliances with any of these giant uh, conglomerates. And, um, uh, you know, we're eight people basically doing uh, a movie studio. And it's, it's, but it's hard for somebody, for a fan out there, it's hard for him or her to, uh, you know, see how difficult it is. You know, yeah. the only way you can get a sense of it is to watch, and I'm sure, James, you have seen uh, our in-house documentaries like Poultry in Motion, uh, Truth mm-hmm. is Stranger Than Chicken, behind the scenes of Poultry Guys, Night of the Chicken Dead. When you watch those documentaries that we've made about the making of our movies, mm-hmm. then you can get a sense of just how, how tough it is because we're trying to compete with Guardians of the Galaxy. And, oh, definitely. And, 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 and again, to be honest, I mean, I, I would watch those documentaries and often think that some of the stuff was staged. And then now kind of you know, being involved with, with, you know, I mean, I do everything from, you know, community, local community TV through to, you know, British movies, all this kind of stuff. And, and now having been on, I, I know how incredibly hard it is. And also, I mean, I also know how, um, uh, 
how do I mean it, it, you know, the concepts that people thought that the rainbow grannies could have been that they would have had the per, you would have had the perfect master store there that could go through some million dollar restoration process to create this new like I mean I mean absurd to think that that would even be on the on the table it's like here's the here's the movie uncut as it was intended with with the gore that you all wanted uh but you're right it's um I can see it and I know how much love and passion go, goes into it because uh, I now, you know, I try and produce something myself and just the, just the absurd costs involved. Um, it's, it, it's, it's unfathomable. Well, also, you know, we have to, uh, uh, the replication factories where we go, we, we can't use the one that Sony or uh, Rank use. We have to go to the cheap ones and very often the cheaper, uh, technical services or the shitty ones so they fuck up the uh the uh, dvds and the, you know uh it's it's a it's so tough and there's so many steps along the way to to uh, getting to the final version of a dvd and also thanks to the uh, motion picture association of america or your sensor boards there's uh, rabbit grannies probably has six different versions so uh, you know citizen toxie uh, the fourth toxic avenger movie there's got to be five or six different versions of it because it played all over the world. So we put it out on Blu-ray and somebody picked up the wrong version. And, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, and you never know until um, unless you check every little detail along the way, you don't get it. You know, you, so we only find out sometimes when the movie's out there with our fans and uh, as you say, James, the general pop for the most part doesn't know um, which volume, which version is which, or uh, blah blah blah. But uh, there's there are people who know so much about our films, little teeny weeny changes or little added scenes or uh, whatever. It's it's uh, really something. The other, the biggest issue we've had along the way is, I shoot when I shoot thirty five millimeter. I shoot, um, I keep microphones and everything out of the entire uh, uh, field. I, uh, most uh, most uh, 185 format, they keep, uh, the uh, directors put the, uh, they keep the, the microphones uh, lower in what they call TV safety. But I keep the mics and everything and uh, out, of, out of everything. It's full frame. So when I so when I put stuff up on DVD, uh, when I put a movie on DVD, it it doesn't look like a band aid. It it's got more information than than the wide screen. I've got the wide screen and I've got on top and on the bottom. And yeah. it took years for the for the fuckers to understand that. I kept getting uh, assholes telling telling me uh, that I didn't put it out in widescreen. I put it out in widescreen, and I put it out in up and top screen. I gave them more information. There's all sorts of stuff at the top and the bottom of the frame that you don't get in the movie theater, but you do get it on the Troma Blu-ray and uh, DVD. And I, it, it constantly would... I mean, that stopped because I think everybody understands that we... Uh, we give out, you know, that our, our frame is very often uh, giving out more information. But that was the biggest, the biggest kind of uh, uh, not a criti you know, criticism or discussion about our uh, our hard goods, as they call them. Uh, yeah. And speaking of hard goods. Guys, um, I'm, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Lloyd. Clarifying all that, by the way, just, just because, as I say, I don't think it's ever been 
properly clarified, but you couldn't have put it better, so thank you. Okay, well, thanks, cool. James. By the way, if you get a chance, uh, the Toxic Avenger musical, uh, it, uh -huh. it played in London for about uh, uh, six or eight weeks, but it's been it's sort of roaming around. It was in Toronto, uh -huh. and it's keep an eye out for it because it's very good. It's hilarious. <laughs> It's got incredible reviews, and 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 it was it, it's one of those rare things that seemed to please everyone, right? Troma fans yes. loved it, but theatre yeah. fans loved it, and yeah, I mean, what an amazing it's, thing I to went, happen! I saw the show in London, and uh, half the audience, the same as in New York, it ran over a year in New York. There were only five actors. Um, the music was written by uh, David Bryan from Bon Jovi, but um, the audience was about half. Uh, Trauma fans with tattoos and things uh, through their noses and penises. Uh, I inspect the penises individually. And uh, and little old ladies who go to see uh, Matilda. It was right. fascinating. And that indicates... Uh, uh, I've seen that show in maybe uh, uh, six or seven different cities, and it's always the, the trauma fans and the uh, kind of mainstream people are mixed together. It's really a brilliant little show. That's amazing. So we're going to move on to the future of trauma, and 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 Lloyd, I know this is going to be a tricky one. How do you engage a whole new generation? Uh, I know you've put stuff on YouTube for free, which is a masterstroke. Because just in the UK, I was looking on the streaming services to see what was available, um, and on um, Netflix, there, there was literally nothing. But bless them, Amazon Prime Video in the UK. They had a fair, fair few uh, trauma films. So, 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 in, in some countries, I believe Class of Newcomb High is on um, because I, I because I, I search different chat rooms and stuff for the word trauma just so I can join in. And I've had people talking about like uh, people that had seen Class of Newcomb High in the eighties on VHS. So, am I right in thinking, Lloyd, that that is, that is on Netflix in some countries? Uh, I don't know, honestly. We hate Netflix because they. They pay us nothing, right. and they and and then they complain. They say, "Well, we don't have any money because we just had to uh, license uh, the new Superman movie, and uh, or or we're making a series of, of, of House of Cards, and we just don't have any. We, you know, so we can't pay you anything." So, so where they, where they, know, they yeah, yeah, they, definitely fucking. Where they get the films from? Is it is it through a distribution deal that that was agreed years ago, and someone else is supplying them with? I'm like, sorry. What was your question again? Oh, I guess my question is like I, I believe, and I could be wrong, but I believe that some that like Classroom You Can Buy has been on Netflix. Is that another company that you signed a deal with? No, years? no, that probably. When here's the here's the way it works. When there's new <laughs> Dylan, you know this. When there's new technology, yeah, they come to you. Right. The guys who start the new technology, um, and they come and they say, "Oh, we don't have any money now, but." Uh, and they obviously they're not going to get the movies from uh, uh, Rank or um, Sony or Paramount they, they because they don't have money. So they go to Troma. We, we have a, a you know a thousand movies. So and they go to us and they say we don't have any money. You know we can pay you a little tiny bit now, but you st but you'll see when we get, when we get traction. You know you're in with us right from the beginning, and then of course as soon as they get uh, traction. Uh, then they fuck us, and uh, you know they they either you know they either don't give uh, you know they give you a very bad deal, and that's been true with HBO, with Showtime, with Sky, with every new technology, and we know it, we yeah. know it. But uh, James, we're desperate, 
So we take the few crumbs uh, at the beginning that we can get, and uh, that's probably why we're on Amazon Prime. <laughs> and, uh, and they'll start uh, uh, squeezing, uh, you know, put the squeezing and squeezing and squeezing, and at some point we'll just uh, walk away. Uh, it, uh, you know, it's just that's the way it works when you're independent. But your stuff being on um, YouTube, are you are you able to monetize being on YouTube by putting ads not, in, or no, is that there's no money? No, no really. I mean, there's there's pennies. It's not. Uh, it, it, so no, they, when I see a film that's got a you know one and a half million views, they they're not paying you anything, no. They you, they pay something, but it, the deal keeps getting worse and worse, and um, it's uh, you can't. We certainly can't. We're we're uh, uh, inches away from uh, going out of business, quite frankly. Yeah. So in the UK, I mean, I, I'll give you an example. We we have no. Well, we get nothing from the UK. Yeah, we, we have, have no DVD stores. You can't rent a DVD in the UK. You certainly can't rent a VHS. If I go to a streaming service like Netflix, none of your films are there. No. There are very very few on Amazon Prime Video. How how do you get to that UK audience? How do you engage with that next generation? I, we don't. Uh, we have no. Uh, that's the problem. the The way the industry has evolved is that the uh, in our country the the legalized bribery, which they call lobbying, has gotten rid of all the anti monopoly uh, all the anti monopoly laws. There used to be rules prohibiting the uh, big uh, studios from owning and controlling the cinemas, but those rules went away under Reagan. So now there's only really two chains in the United States. There are a few little crappy uh, theater chains that we play. If I direct a movie, I can get into about 300 screens, but they're mainly crappy. And they're mainly uh, calendar houses. And that's true all over the world. There's, uh, every every um, anti-monopoly uh, law has been done away with. It used to be that the U.S. Uh, uh, TV networks were required to uh, show... Uh, at least one third of their content uh, coming from independent sources, and under the uh, reign of uh, Clinton, uh, they uh, got away. They did away with that particular rule. So now uh, the big uh, conglomerates can own the content that goes on the networks, and also do not have to show anything that comes from independent sources. Uh, what they consider independent are vassals, you know, like the Sundance Film Festival. Mm -hmm which is owned, I think, by Paramount or somebody. Uh, all the movies they show are pretty much uh, movies that come from uh, vassals of Rupert Murdoch and uh, and uh, the other giant conglomerates. That makes me so sad. I mean, I, I've got a 15-year-old oh. son, and he's yeah. never going to kind of experience what I did when I was a kid of going to the video shop and, oh, Toxic Avenger. That looks inappropriate. And taking it home with him, he's just it's just not going to happen. And, well, and I feel that's just... Just so sad. But the good news is, here's Dylan. Uh, she's uh, 19. How old are you? I'm uh, I'm 19 years old. So she's 19 years old, and somehow she's uh, finding movies like Trauma and, and Better that nobody knows about. Uh, what Rupert Murdoch cannot buy, and James knows this well, is word of mouth. You, No matter how much... How much you spend on advertising and brainwashing those fat, pimply little boys, uh, you're not going to make Batman 2 a good movie. The Penguin had no no business being in there. So you may be able to get a few people. You may be able to brainwash people to go in to see uh, uh, Suicide Squad the first week and the second week. But after that, it's done because people hated it and they talk about it. Whereas yeah. our movies, 
a movie like Combat Shock, which played in it, it played in uh, the UK thirty some odd years ago at the old uh, uh, what was that theater that ran all night? Uh, and, Prince uh, Charles. No, no, no. That's more recent. No, this was before the Prince Charles. Uh, Regal or the Scala? Yeah, the Scala. The Scala. The Scala. Yeah. I remember sitting in the back of the Scala at four in the morning, and they. Sh- <laughs> I think it was around the same time. It may have been the same evening they showed Rabbit Grannies, <laughs> but they showed Combat Shock. It took us fifteen years to break even on Combat Shock, and that's a wonderful film. But yeah. it, it, you know, we can't afford to advertise the way. Uh, a suicide Squad can advertise, so uh, we have to let the ret- you know return to Newcomb High, which is the first uh, half of the movie that uh, um, uh, called Return to Newcomb High, which is out and it's out in England. Uh, yeah. Actually, that is out. Actually, you can get that in uh, Great in Britain, yeah. and, and and in my I have a tiny um, HMV in the small city of in New Brunswick that I live in, and I uh, a few weeks after moving here found Return uh, of, uh, to Newcomb High Volume One. In the HMV there, so I mean, I we we still have some rental stores, and I'm again we've established I'm slightly mad. I will movies that I like Eli Roth's uh, Knock Knock. I know I can get that on demand, but I like to keep my local DVD rental shop going, so I go there and I rent it, and I make one trip, and the little tag is in the top saying um, on on rent. So then I go back the next day, and then I come back and it's closed, and I get fined three dollars because I'm late, and then suddenly I could have just bought the Blu-ray. In uh, Walmart, <laughs> I don't do that. Hunt. Yeah, and, uh, that's right. And, uh, well, the second uh, half, we're we're finishing the sound. We're starting now the sound design of the second half, uh, which is Return to Return to Newcomb High, aka Volume Two, and uh, hopefully we'll have that in October, and hopefully uh, we'll get a few theaters in the UK to play it. Uh, you know, like the Prince Charles, where yeah, you know we yeah. get one night maybe if we're lucky. And then uh, maybe we'll find a distributor in the UK. Uh, there still are. Uh, um, there's 88. Uh, there's Arrow. They do very nice uh, mm-hmm. Blu-ray work. Can um, I – oh, sorry, James. I was just going to ask um, yeah. Lloyd, who are the future of Troma? Who are the, who are the new filmmakers? Who are you supporting? Who should we be looking out for? Dylan. Well, Dylan, of course. Dylan Greenberg. I think that uh, Dylan's uh, going to have a huge uh, future ahead of her. Uh, you know, she's obviously she's finding her style and her uh, her uh, aesthetics. Uh, Kansas Bowling is in L.A. I think she'll be up there. She wants mainstream. She wants to be James Gunn. I think she's she's obsessed and talented, and uh, and um, I think she's going to go places for sure. And uh, there's ton. There's so much talent around. The unfair part of it is that. Uh, the uh, all the oxygen, if you don't mind switching metaphors, is being sucked up by George Clooney and uh, people <laughs> like that. That's the problem. It's uh, the, 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 in a fair world, Poultry Guy's Night of the Chicken Dead should have been a huge success. But uh, I, I rewatched that last night, and funnily enough, I, in the office today, I showed one of my colleagues the toilet scene, and this this is a guy who's completely straight, doesn't watch anything outside of a multiplex of popcorn. And he was just totally transfixed. He could he just like, what is this? I've never seen anything like this before. And I was like, this is a trauma movie. He's like, what? <laughs> well, it's a good movie. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a good movie. In fact, uh, 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 Neville Dean and Taylor, who uh, made Crank and Crank Two, and then uh, Gamer, and they're they're mainstream directors. 
they've said it numerous times about poultry guys that in a fair, they actually saw it in uh, New Mexico in a movie theater. And they keep telling me that it, if the world were fair, poultry guys would have been a huge hit. It would have been, and it would have done a lot better than uh, a movie like Sausage Party. Very true. I mean, can I ask, because I'm, I'm talking about my kind of you know, love of uh, VHS and ways in which we can support, and Paul's obviously kind of talking about you know, the, the, the future trend, but how can uh, film, ethical film fans, and obviously you know, there's people in society that, you know, they want to live ethically, so they, they, they buy sustainable this, or they want to buy fair trade coffee, and they want their cocaine to arrive not from a place that people have been killed for it, whatever. Um, but um, how can like an ethical film fan buy your work? What is the best way, I am by best, I mean the way that the money goes straight to Troma to create more inspiring work? For fans listening, how should they buy your work? The the problem is that the the um, the the paths to the public worldwide are controlled by a very small number of these giant devil worshipping international media conglomerates, who in uh, certain countries conspire with the governments and they keep out competition. Mm. So I think the only way that young people can get to our movies is going to have to be on the internet and in some form. Uh, uh, and I don't mind file sharing. I'm all for it. Uh, what I don't like are the fucking Chinese. Uh, and I majored in Chinese studies. I speak Chinese to some extent. My daughter speaks fluent Chinese. Uh, I've been there five or six times, even to, you know to the mainland China. And um, and I was one of four uh, in 1968. I was one of four Yale uh, students who took Chinese and Chinese studies. So I have a love for the Chinese culture and the Chinese history, but. These fuckers, uh, they, they take all our movies and they sell them and they don't give us any of the money. And um, I'm writing an essay. I'm writing a Lloyd's Royds. Uh, it's an, uh, the Lloyd's Royds are essays that I write and I've uh, been doing that for about... There are, uh, there's a fan site, LloydKaufman.com, and I, po- I post those essays there. But it's I'm so funny one- that you mentioned about you, you don't care about file sharing because uh, one of my heroes is, is a guy called Dave Garn from Depeche Mode. And uh, he's on record as saying, if you ain't being bootlegged, you ain't happening. And that always stuck with me. Well, he's right. The most valuable thing, and I'm sure, James, you agree. Dylan, I know, agrees. The most valuable thing that somebody can give you is their time, not their money. It's their time. (laughs) So if somebody's going to spend an hour and a half on trauma movies on YouTube watching uh, Terror Firmer, I'm happy with that. That's good enough for me. Uh, You know, I live in a country where I'm not going to starve. I'm going to get a roof over my head somehow. Uh, we have Obamacare now. Uh, not that I want to live anymore. I'm ready to die. I, I'm just waiting to die. But the point is, uh, you know, we, it's not, it, we don't need millions of dollars. Uh, it, it, the, art, the art is made for, to, to be shared. And for, I wrote a book called Sell Your Own Damn Movie about eight years ago. And I, there's a lot in it about uh, public domain and how we have, we have totally destroyed the benefits of public domain thanks to disney and and clinton and we've totally uh, uh totally um forgotten that uh, art is uh, something that uh, should be given away at times fucking and, uh, disney you stick a pair of comedy sold. ears in anything and twenty five thousand lawyers will rain down on you yeah that's that's it's it's, it's stupid it's stupid and it's old-fashioned and it's not gonna stand but but in our in our case uh we we just can't 
get to the public. Sorry, uh, there's somebody's buzzing me. Uh, we, we, it's that waitress from last noise. night. Uh, I think it's. I think Rupert Murdoch's lawyers are on the phone uh, trying to find <laughs> me. Um, they don't. They don't want to give away my own movies. <laughs> you're, you're in a camper van with a satellite dish. <laughs> but, uh, Dylan suggested that maybe young people could go to Troma now. Now is our well, streaming service. Lloyd, I just want to move on to Troma now, which is your brand new VHX channel, which has got. Do you want to move on to Troma now? Yeah. What have we been talking about? We've been talking about Troma. Why suddenly now you want to talk about, about Troma? Troma now? Because oh, I, you mean I, you want to move on to Troma now? Now, now the, the <laughs> oh, all right. You're amazing. Five dollars in in British money. That's fuck all. In British money, five dollars is like thirty pence. Yeah, Three exactly. Pence. It's not even that. Tuppence. (laughs) And uh, I can't believe that every person in the UK doesn't have a subscription. You know, I'm with you, but uh, our fans are poor and, uh, you know, they don't have a lot. They're young and they're poor and they don't have a lot of money. And uh, so that's why uh, we gave a lot of, you know, we gave almost everything. Troma now has the world premiere movies, brand new movies. And then uh, Dylan and uh, some of us curate uh, uh, some of our library and uh, short pieces and some of our political statements that go up every month on Troma Now. So it's a, you're right. The first month is free, and then it's uh, $4.99 a month. I, I wish the fans would be a little more supportive on Troma Now. And unlike Netflix, we add 20 titles a month. We don't take them down. Wow. Yeah, good point, Dylan. Yeah, very good. Awesome. Well, everyone listening, I hope you all subscribe now to now. It costs what? 30 what? British what? pence per month. Say that again? It costs 30 British pence per month. Yes. Yes, 30 pence. <laughs> well, maybe it's a little more. Uh, uh, maybe 40 pence, but it but ain't much not, more than that. Yeah, it's very doable. I mean, the, I, you know, the British pound is imperial and, and majestic, and the dollar Brexit. ain't worth shit. Exactly. Brexit <laughs> saves trauma. <laughs> Brexit saves trauma. <laughs> yes. Thanks, James. Um, just, I just need to ask Lloyd if um, if Trump becomes president, will he be moving to the UK or Canada or Canada? Uh, I, I'd love to live. I'd love to live in the in, uh, in London. I don't. I don't know about living in Canada. You know, they're too polite there. I yeah. don't. I could, everybody's. Too, so, I was just up in Northern Ontario. I'm, you know, uh, James, uh, uh, I, like you, I do some acting uh, in a lot of movies, and um, I, I was just in northern Canada, northern Ontario, way out in farmland, and, and uh, again, everyone was so polite and so nice. And I'm from New York, which is, uh, uh, you know, ground zero for uh, hostility and, you know, uh, uh, money, 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 everybody's Do, do you call people and, wankers in New York? Yeah, we don't say wankers, do we? Do uh, we? I think we say asshole a lot. Yeah, asshole. Oh, well, you should adopt yeah. wanker. It's Douchebag. much better. Douchebag. Wanker is a great word. It's You're a right. great Wanker's word. Great. Yeah, yeah. We have to come up with more creative insults. Well, wanker too. also indicates that you do something uh, frequently. And uh, so, uh, do you yeah. know what, Lloyd? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to post to you a copy of a British dictionary called the Profanosaurus. <laughs> James, great. you know what this is. Yeah, it's full of brilliant things like like vagina is beef curtains, uh, slice is an insult. Uh, Wonderful, wonderful dictionary that will uh, uh, change your vocabulary and make you a happier person. 
Can well, thank we? You. Uh, that, that yeah, would, you're that, more than that welcome. That would be a great thing uh, because uh, I'm still. Uh, you're never too old like to, to learn. I would like to blow my fucking brains out. So anything you can do to mitigate that feeling. Uh, cool, Lloyd. This is yes. going to be a real tricky question for you. Yes. What are your top three trauma films? Ooh, Without nice. kind of annoying anyone around you. The top three trauma films. Uh, well, Your top I think three. That, I think that uh, my uh, Return to Newcomb High and Return to Return to Newcomb High, the, the two parts put together. I mm-hmm. think that's going to be uh, uh, my Sistine Chapel. Um, uh, I think that's the best one. I think that's really right now. I think that's my favorite. I, I can't really. I I, t- I think Poultry Geist is amazing. Terra Firmer. I put I'd say those three. Terra Firmer is my most personal movie because it's it's about art and the making of cinema. And um Poultry Geist is a musical and I uh, I I always loved musicals from the time I was a tiny kid. So uh those are my th- three favorite trauma movies. Not not to put any spoilers in the rest of the podcast but two of those are my top three as well so i'm so happy and oh, james now is devastated <laughs> how about you james uh who's your who are your top three comedians oh. John and I, we say that james mulligan is our favorite comedian but after <laughs> james mulligan uh, who do you like who are your favorite comedian uh, that's a very good question um i do love jerry seinfeld um and my act is very different to his but i i love his craft and so forth um, I'm, I'm loath to say Louis C.K. just because it's such an obvious answer and, and, and people, you know, love him so much and all the rest of it. Um, Stuart Lee, a British comedian. Well, but I mean, to be honest, my favourite comedians I, I, I put in my last movie and they're people that I just worked with a lot who just made me laugh uh, like drains all the time. I mean, Nicky Payne, uh, actually, who's from, who lives here in New Brunswick, was a Canadian superstar who moved to this kind of quieter part of Canada for quality of life like myself. And she is one of the funniest people. I know you will love her act. Nikki Payne is well worth checking out. I'm um, writing it down. I'm writing down yeah. Stuart Lee and Nikki Payne. Nikki, N-I-K-K-I-P-A-Y-N-E. But the person you must look up who is just a genius um, is a guy called Richard Sandling. Um, Richard, S-A-N-D-L-I-N-G. This guy was the first British stand-up to... He, he, he arrived on the circuit maybe in the, in the mid-2000s. And he started doing stand-up about his love of VHS. And I've been doing stand-up for about five years when he started. And I was like, my God, this is what I'm doing wrong. I'm talking about the shit that I think the audience wants to hear. And, of course, people, the audiences can smell you know, this like shit on a toothbrush. They, 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 they know when they're being patronized because you're talking about sex and drinking because you think that's what they want. He would get up and rant about VHS to a room of 200 people that probably couldn't give a shit about VHS, but they loved the passion. Now, the best thing he has on that, he does this thing in England called Perfect Movie where he recreates classic movie scenes um, on, on an extremely low budget. And one of my favorite movie scenes is that scene in Lethal Weapon with the, when, when uh, Riggs is doing the cocaine deal. So if you go onto YouTube, you can see this Perfect Movie clip where uh, we recreated the, uh, that bad ain't real, you ain't real. You crazy <laughs> son of a bitch scene. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's one of the it's king. Um, Richard Sandling, huh? Richard, Richard Sandling. Sandling or Sanding? Um, and type in Richard Sandling, perfect movie, and you'll see it. The guy oh. is a, a god, you. and he has the biggest VHS collection of anyone I know. Um, but when Paul asked me to come up with my three favorite trauma movies, 
I, I felt incredibly conflicted doing so because um, my three favorite would probably be, i.e., the ones I watch the most would probably be the most obvious. And it would be, you know, Toxic Avenger, Class of Newcomb High, Terra Firma. But for me, what, how I took that question was my, I want, what I want to talk about is my three favorite trauma movies that other people don't necessarily talk about. For example, you know, Dreams Come True is a movie I saw. It was one of the first, when, my, when I first became obsessed with trauma films, which incidentally did start in 1992 when I picked up the Dark Side magazine and they did that trauma special. And I, at that point, I'd seen Toxic Avenger and I saw this, this they, they, they had that listing, a feature called Traumatized, the A to Z of trauma compiled by Alan Bryce. And it had every trauma movie reviewed. And I was like, my God, there's more movies as awesome as The Toxic Avenger. And I made it my life's mission, which is a mission that continues to this day, to find every single one of them on VHS. And it was a, a task that my father supported and took me. Uh, he, he was a bank manager, but occasionally traveled around England for meetings. And he'd take me with him and I would uh, he would take me to video shops so I could find tapes. And I found the Medusa home video release of Dreams Come True. And it's one that I do watch a lot. And love, and again, I mean, I mean, obviously, Combat Shock, you know, is a one is a movie that everyone talks about. But I also love uh, stuff Stephanie and the Incinerator, you know, for probably the same reasons that my mother loves watching Agatha Christie movies. Um, yeah, actually, I agree. Actually, I, I'd love to send you a story about when I when I first when I was at school and and and, and struggling and so forth to get by, and uh, uh, my parents kind of said to the, the school like, "What's wrong with, the, with with our child? Like, why is he such a fucking moron?" And uh, the school kind of you know they don't want to blame themselves, so they so they come up with um. And I do a stand up bit on this, but I still have the report. The school told my parents, "Well, the problem with your son it, it isn't our fault. He's he's a, he's actually retarded." Um, and I have a report dating <laughs> this, right? This was their kind of get out. Um, so when I started my trauma fanzine, and it, you know, it wasn't great. It was, it was what uh, a passionate thirteen-year-old would come up with. I sent it off to the to the Dark Side magazine for review, and the review came out, and it was the greatest moment of my life, possibly still to this day, when they reviewed it and reviewed it very positively. And it was, and it kind of spurred me on through my teenage years a bit. I, I felt like I had something to offer the world because the dark side liked my magazine. And then for some reason, I don't know why, my dad shared with me uh, a copy of a letter he sent the editor of the dark side the same day I posted off my fanzine saying, uh, Dear Alan Bryce, you're about to receive a fanzine from my retarded son. Uh, he is a fucking moron. And this, uh, this thing is terrible, but please don't be too uh, harsh on it because... Uh, the the the, fuck, the idiot won't take it, and uh, and uh, I never needed to know this. I could have gone my whole life without knowing <laughs> that the defining moment in my life was um, decided by a, a letter uh, based on my retardness. And it's uh, <laughs> beautiful. It's such a beautiful, moving, and touching story, James. That's uh, so lovely. <laughs> I remember once I was washing the car, my father's car. And another car with a hose and another car drove by uh, you know, slowly because it's New York City. Uh, and uh, I accidentally squirted the driver right in the face of the car driving past. And the guy yelled at me, hey, stupid. And then my father said, how did you know he was stupid? It was sort of the uh, uh, the uh, kind of this. How do you call it? The um, 
moral support yeah. that <laughs> had a similar uh, background. <laughs> nice. I remember yeah. Battle, I made a movie called Battle of Love's Return, which yeah. did come out on VHS in the United States. Oliver Stone is in it, uh, Lynn Lowry. Uh, my first uh, kind of sync sound uh, movie, with, which was color and black and white. It was shot on 16 millimeter. And I, I, I would wake my father up at four in the morning and make him play uh, a part uh, when we needed him. And then we opened in New York. It actually played in a New York uh, movie theater, pretty good theater. And um, they had a press conference at the end, and they asked my father what he liked best about the movie. Uh, without uh, taking a beat, he said, oh, I like the part where uh, Lloyd gets killed at the end. Uh, that was my favorite part. <laughs> Amazing. And how about you, Dylan? What are your three favorites? My three, and definitely Terra Firmer. I, I think I, I learned a lot from Terra Firmer. Yeah. Um, uh, Class of Newcomb High, for yeah. sure. Um, and I guess the, the new one coming out right now, uh, Return to Newcomb High Volume 2, because uh, that was the first film where I was also part of the trauma team, and I got to do some cool uh, special effects and editing, and uh, I got to... Uh, we got to film Lloyd in a in a green screen morph suit, and then is that it's okay to say that? Yeah, yeah. And then stick his face onto Warren's body from the original film, and I got to do those special effects, and that was very. Uh, so spoiler alert! Yes, yeah, right spoiler alert. <laughs> For no return to return to Newcomb it's, High, uh, it's the, you can't possibly you can't do possibly. The justice to how disgusting it looks. Uh, <laughs> also, Dylan's in the movie too. Dylan is Mind part of the trauma repertoire. Rep, uh, uh, Repertory company. I, yeah. I play a Jewish American princess uh, whose nose gets ripped off, and I'm actually happy about it because that means that my dad has to get me a new nose. <laughs> and uh, I'm in Dylan's. Uh, I'm in two of your movies, right? Um, yeah, so you're in three. Three of your movies. I'm in three. Yeah, of Dylan's. and soon to be the fourth. Great. Great. Um, Which- Right, which leads me on to, guys, what have you got to plug tonight? Dylan, do you want to go first? What have you got to plug for us? Um, well, uh, my film Amityville Vanishing Point is out right now on uh, Amazon Instant Video, and it's coming soon on DVD. And right now I'm directing a parody of uh, Reanimator, both the Lovecraft uh, story and um, just kind of the entire Reanimator culture, now that it's sort of a, sort of a larger larger entity it's made it been made into films and uh, it's been made into musicals so i'm making a film right now um and it's a, it's a parody film called uh the heart of dr west a reanimated parody it's a feature film it's a, and it's basically a surrealist salvador dali-esque uh parody homage to uh reanimator films nice awesome that is awesome. Lloyd, come on, you must have some stuff to plug. I've been on IMDb, you've got loads of stuff in production. I plugged my wife on Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> she was more surprised than I was. Okay. Um, oh, my well, life. I, I, we're finishing, you know, I, I'm very slow. This Return to Newcomb High project, James, has been six years. Can you imagine? Six years on a, spending six years on a trauma well, movie. Well, I, I watched volume one. Disgrace. It's a disgrace. Lloyd, I watched volume one, I can't remember how long ago, and it instantly became my favourite trauma film. And I've been waiting forever since for volume two. (laughs) We're getting there. We are getting there. We're we're doing the sound design now. Uh, Travis Campbell, who made, by the way, Mr. Bricks, a heavy metal murder musical, 
Travis Campbell uh, and I wrote this script to uh, volume one and two. Um, and Travis is editing. Uh, he's now we, we go. We've got a very we got the same sound design people that we used on volume one. But uh, 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 regarding Travis, he made Mr. Bricks a heavy metal murder musical. Which, uh, Lemmy gave us a, a song for it because uh, I asked him, and uh, and um, it, it, the whole movie was five thousand dollars, and it came out. It played some theaters. It's on DVD, and uh, and so it, you know you don't really need the money now. To the good news is you can be a decent citizen of the world and not have to go and uh, drive one of those parking carts at the Walt Disneyland uh, parking lot or. You know, these Harvard uh, Law School graduates, they go out to Hollywood and, and they work the Xerox machine for William Morris Agency. And you don't have to do that. You can make a movie virtually. You don't need money to make a movie anymore. The big problem is how do you get to the mainstream? How do you penetrate the hymen of the mainstream without you getting fucked? That's yeah. the real conundrum. Uh, it's not so much making the movie anymore. It's... Oh, it's uh, because Mr. Bricks, a heavy metal murder musical, as did Father's Day, a movie which we produced in Canada with some new young directors who right. are incredibly talented. It it was under twenty five thousand dollars U.S. and it it made a little money, but you can't live off that. You can't you can't send people to school and the really that was twenty five grand. That was I. Uh, was that was the Astron Father's Six guys, wasn't it? I watched that the other night. Uh, Astron, yeah, 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 yeah. amazing. Yeah. And we're producing a movie in Portugal by the guy who made. Uh, uh, banana motherfucker, Fernando Ale. He came from Portugal and worked on Return to Nukumai and Return to Return to Nukumai. And um, uh, he uh, wrote a script. Uh, I helped him a little bit. And uh, we've given him some money. And he's making it in Portugal, in the Portuguese language, called Mutant Blast. But he is apparently influenced by me because this has been uh, at least three three years <laughs> Yes, and he's still making the uh, the uh, special effects costumes and all that stuff. So uh, we're very slow on the in-house uh, productions. But I think I'm thinking that I wanted. I, I've we've written Toxic Avenger Part Four uh, called Grime and Punishment, which I've written uh, for uh, Noble uh, in uh, in uh, Ukraine, but in the Ukraine, no, in Ukraine. But um, it's it's about. Uh, probably about half a million pounds that I need. And I don't think I can get the money. So uh, I've got another thing I'm kind of working on uh, that would be my version of The Tempest, Shakespeare's The Tempest, which probably I can do for about 300,000 US, uh, you know, 200,000 pounds. So I may go to that just because I think I can scrape that money together. And I don't is think I is crowdfunding it. not an, uh, an option for you guys? We've used crowdfunding. Uh, our fans uh, got us. We ran out of money on on this return to return to Newcomb High, aka Volume Two, uh, and we went. You to want to work fans. on that title, mate? Return to return, <laughs> return to, to Newcomb High, aka yeah. Volume Two. Uh, well, it's too late. It's on the movie. <laughs> Picture swap. Oh, I'm just messing with you. But um, the the uh, point I was making is that. Um, it's um, um, what was I saying? I don't remember now. Uh, the cat tranquilizer is kicking in. Uh, what, what was <laughs> the I crowd? Saying? The crowdfunding. Oh yeah, crowdfunding. They yeah, we we were totally empty, out of gas, and the fans came up with eighty thousand uh, dollars. 
this was about six months ago uh, to get us through this, uh, get us over the hump. We, we and and then we got some money in uh, from some uh, sales, some foreign sales, and some other th- my books or whatever. And uh, so that now we haven't just enough to get the movie may- finished. But we were going to be stuck in the mud. Uh, but our fans, th- thanks to Kickstarter and our fans, we got about eighty thousand dollars. So uh, uh, it's but our you know we can't do what you know Spike Lee who has a thirty million dollar home here in in Manhattan. Uh, he was able to get three million dollars from the movie going uh, Kickstarter people. But I, I I can't. Our fans are not that uh, wealthy. Uh, you know. I, and I feel uncomfortable, quite frankly, uh, as does Michael Hers, my partner. We we feel a little uncomfortable, uh, you know, asking uh, for handouts from our fans because we know they're young and they're poor, and a lot of them have student loans, and uh, you know, they just don't have money. You know, they, they, Lloyd, they're, they're all in their forties. They're all earning five figure salaries. They're all laughing. <laughs> they're all good to go for money, mate. Trust me. Ask James. Those are the Chinese, the Chinese fans in mainland China, the generals, the porky, fat, filthy generals who own the factories that are making the DVDs and who own the streaming services. Yeah, they they got plenty of money. Yeah, oh yeah, because uh, they're bootlegging everything that moves except for the big. Uh, see, the Chinese let the uh, big studio movies uh, share revenue. Oh but yeah, that's it. You know, we had there are 30, 30 some odd American movies are allowed to be distributed in, in China, and then everything else is basically uh, stolen. James, do you want do you want to put the last question to Lloyd? Well, I mean, uh, I mean, of course, most of my questions just become statements because they just become me uh, uh, extolling my, my gratitude. But um, I guess my, my my question would be. You know, it, we, you just talked about, you know, the fact that, that you know, you, you feel bad asking the fans for money. But at the same time, uh, what would be the best way for fans? You know, we talked earlier, like the best way of getting money to Troma when buying product. What should fans do in order to uh, uh, finance films? You know, is there a newsletter on the Troma website they can sign up for so they can be made aware of Kickstarter campaigns? What's the, you know, I think is, is uh, the best uh, as Dylan said, Troma Now. Subscribe to yeah, Troma subscribe Now. To Troma you know, now. For, for uh, 30 pounds a year max, you know, you get a whole year for 25 pounds or something. Uh, or less. Less. Yeah, less. less. Uh, it's, 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 if we could get a few thousand people there, uh, that would, that would be, be it would be wonderful. Yeah, yeah we, wonderful. we'd uh, take all, take all the pressure off. You know, we, we, we don't need a lot of money. Uh, that would be, uh, I think if we could get people signing up for Troma Now, uh, uh, that would be terrific. And uh, uh, what, well, James? Have you seen any uh, movies you could recommend recently? Movies that I would recommend. Good question. Well, I mean, both of Dylan's films that I watched in the last week, I would recommend. Um, I would also recommend. Um, I'm trying to think. What have I seen that I like? Well, to be honest, <laughs> I feel everyone should watch. <laughs> he knows what I'm going to say. Um, I know. It's this. It's a British uh, gangster movie that has been created. Um, and I'm a fan of low-budget British uh, gangster movies. The, the, the kind of the more awful, the better. But this particular one uh, is called Mob Handed, which is it's it's kind of the Citizen Kane of bad British gangster movies. And the plot is kind of about vigilantes killing paedophiles. But they've obviously done some kind of deal with a musician whereby. They've agreed to use this musician's music. So every time yeah. the mob are chase, every time a paedophile is chasing a victim, there's this kind of very upbeat, 
uh, song that, that, that's been shake it, shake it, right? Shake it. So, yeah, I've heard about Mob Handed. I've actually really on my Twitter. Yes. Oh. Uh, Somebody on my Twitter mentioned it. And Life, life is complete, yeah. James. Lloyd Kaufman knows about Mob Handed. <laughs> Only because of that. Uh, see, this is what's so great about uh, things like Twitter, and uh, because you know, I've had about thirty-five thousand people there, and they tell me stuff. They they turn me on to music and on to movies, and uh, uh, I thought it was a typo, and I thought they were talking about the Toxic Avenger being mop handed, handed, oh. uh, mop handed. But uh, now that I know it's mop handed, I'm going to go and make sure I see it. Yeah, Thanks, it, James. It, it, thank you. I mean, it, it's truly magical. I, I, there's not many movies other than true movies that I will watch, you know, three times in a row, and 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 I, I will sit and watch Toxic Avenger three times in a row. One more question. Where, where, in, where, where are you from in the UK, James? Well, I was in South London for 15 years, but I was born in a place called well, Maidenhead, and, <laughs> uh, and, and that's where I grew up. And uh, and where uh, is where is Maidenhead? Where is that? It's in Berkshire. I guess it's 45 minutes away from London. It, I tell you what, ah. it, it's actually it's in between two really shit places. <laughs> I used to say to people, oh, I'd say I'm from Maidenhead. They'd go, well, where's that? And I'd go, it's Darren Redding. And my mum would always say, don't say that, James. Say it's in between Windsor and Marla, which are both very frustrating. This is the best Friday night ever because Lloyd Goffman's asking you where Maidenhead is. Maidenhead, there's a Maidenhead fern. Uh, Is that uh, from Maidenhead? Maidenhead fern. I'm actually not sure. There's not many things that are from Maidenhead other than <laughs> methamphetamine. <laughs> and uh, I guess Maidenhead, Maidenhead Fern must be. Uh, I remember that because uh, when I was a child, I learned French, and uh, one of the vocabulary words was in English was Maidenhead Fern, and I often wondered why am I learning that particular word. Uh, you know, I didn't know what Maidenhead meant, of course, and, uh, and I just was kind of a useless... And, and actually, I've forgotten how you say it in French, uh, but at one point I knew how to say it in French. Maidenhead Fern. Uh, Are you uh, not familiar with High Wickham, Lloyd? Uh, I know the high part. Okay. It's, uh, <laughs> high is just north of the Wickham part, yeah. which is just north of Maidenhead. I, 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 I used to go to the cinema every day as a child. My mum would drive me there, drop me off, leave me there, and I used to just watch three movies back to back. And I still have all the tickets. I remember going to see. I remember going to see. I have weird memories of the cinema. Like I remember 1993 watching Under Siege, and then making sure I went straight back in to watch it again to wait for the scene where Eric Leniak pops out of the. Uh, the, the cake, and I did a thing that I've done often. Normally, it's looking out of a window at a neighbour or a friend of my wife's or something. But I got myself kind of a half erect, like half mask, and then when she popped out of the, the cake, I knew I had three seconds to shoot my load in the cinema. I remember doing yeah. this. <laughs> uh, and I also, which is weird, around the same time, this is actually, that one, not embarrassing, this one is, I remember being in the middle of a row, and I'm still kind of this insecure and awkward when I'm not on stage, I'm watching Three Men and a Little Lady, and I was about 10 minutes in, and I realised I needed a massive piss. And, and, and I was sat there, and I thought, well, I can't trouble all these people by making them get up. And there's probably an hour and a half left of the film. It'll dry. And I was probably about, I was old. I mean, this wasn't young. I was 15. I just thought, I'm just going to piss myself. I'm just going to sit here and just do the piss. What, in the pictures? In the cinema, middle of a row. I thought, I can't trouble six people and get them to get up so I can go to the bathroom. 
I, I made a concerted decision as a mid-team just to wet myself. But then I guess when two years prior, I sat there and knocked one out, actually uh, uh, weeing probably not as bad. And then, <laughs> and then weirdly, I was at the... I, 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 this, this is even weirder. At the, I should probably shouldn't say this on the show. Uh, at the, we did a, a, a screen, like a screening of, of, of my movie at Just for Laughs a, a couple of weeks ago, and the second back, the back of the room wasn't full. I was sat in the back of the room in the middle, and uh, I was, I had these big two pint cans of, of lager, which obviously not had to publicly drink in Canada, but you know, yeah, I'm English, so I go by my laws, and and I'm, I, I, I open this two pint can, put it down. It's not my second. I knock it over. And it spells. And I didn't realize how badly it spells. And at the end of the film, we got up to the stage to do a Q&A and, and the host said, any questions? And this woman said, yeah, whichever asshole dropped his beer can. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and of course, everything, the only person sat behind her was me. And I'm up there going, what fucker did that? Yeah. <laughs> I'll a big B. So there's a reason why I don't. Yes, exactly. There's a reason I don't go to the uh, cinema, and those three reasons are it. I'm either going to ruin someone's night by pouring a can of lager in their handbag, I'm either going to masturbate on their back, or I'm going to piss my own pants. So I don't really belong outside this house. Well, come to New York. We appreciate that kind of uh, activities. Uh, please, uh, we'll go somewhere together and uh, we'll pee and masturbate and. Uh, Drop beer. We do. It's uh, come down to Forty Second Street. You'll see. Uh, meet many other people who do that all the time. <laughs> Guys, I'm. I'm hey, honestly, when, Lloyd, James, yes. Dylan. It's been an absolute pleasure wait a minute, this evening. Wait, one more oh, thing. oh James, God, no, Lloyd. James, hey, James, no, I'm not going to interrupt you, buddy. Go on. No, 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 no. I apologize. Just, uh, do you have that fanzine? Is there any way you could uh, scan it and I could take a look at it? Absolutely, yeah, I'll send it to you for sure. That would be great. Do you, do you have? Uh, do you guys have an email here? And... Yes, I've, I've got Dylan's email. I will email it to you. I also have one. My son, I showed it to my son, and he then created one. He's five years old. He created his own Choma fantasy yeah, a couple of months great. ago, so I'll send you that as well. But uh, oh, that, thank that's you, an honor. Thank you. Uh, Lloyd K at Troma.com. Lloyd, like Lloyd's of London, uh, two L's at the beginning, K at Troma.com. Awesome. I will definitely send that. You're thing. now going to get a lot of dick pics from our I'm, listeners. I'm on, I'm on uh, Twitter at Lloyd Kaufman. <laughs> and um, are you on Twitter at all, James? And yes, big Paul? time. Yeah. And what what's your handle there? I'll talk uh, about Mop. Uh, uh, at, James, at James Mullinger. It's literally just oh, my okay. name. And and all my posts are either about trauma or mob handed. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And uh, Paul, are you on? Uh, I am, my friend. I'm uh, I'm at Pafster, P A F S T E R. And uh, right you up. tweeted us both earlier, and you and you said that we had to watch your performance at the Sharknado for um, Las Vegas red carpet. I think Lloyd has someone else doing it for him. Oh, okay. Oh, no, no, no. I do my own Twitter. What did it oh. say? You, you told us to watch your um, Sharknado 4 red carpet. Yeah, yeah, that Dylan edited it. Yeah, too. we Dylan and we, we both editing. watched it. We oh, thank it. you. And you told thank us you. to do that as homework. Uh, ah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I, I got it. Now and I, got I have it. to say, yes, the yes, lovely, right. the yeah. lovely Kansas Bowling. Genius. I love it, love it, love it, love it. <laughs> well, I hope we get to meet someday, both Paul uh, in the UK and James in uh, New Brunswick. Uh, and uh, pass through New York every once in a while. 
Don't you oh. come to New York every once in a while and masturbate? James yeah, does. Absolutely. We're going to come on 42nd Street to Ish. We were all <laughs> together and we ourselves. And uh... You should come to our our home in New York. We have a, a house in New York and there's a gargoyle of the Toxic Avenger over our doorway. We could wow. masturbate together uh, over the street entrance. It's, it's, it's Lloyd, there's a, there's a game in England which is known as Soggy Biscuit, you may be familiar with. I, I've heard of the racehorse Soggy Biscuit, but not... Uh, <laughs> James, I, James will fill you in at a later date. I, uh, okay. I'll put you on it. When we all get together, we will, we will uh, play this game, but um, <laughs> we're, we're going to make this meeting happen. And, and Lloyd, Dylan, thank you so much. This is Guys, yeah. Honor. Thank you. Thank you, Dylan. Remember to check out Shroma now uh, at watch.shroma.com. I realize we didn't give the address. Oh, watch. Oh, like a watch that you yeah. wear on your wrist. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you so oh, much. You. And best wishes. Fight the good thank fight, you. guys. Thank so you. Love you, Dylan. Yeah, this was fun. And we learned, Dylan and I learned uh, quite a bit today. Uh, oh, Lloyd, can I ask you one last to... thing? Yeah. When do we get to call you Uncle Lloyd? <laughs> Anytime you want. Uh, you can call me Aunt Lloyd, too. Aunt Lloyd, too, uh, actually. Okay, I'm going to do it. Uncle Lloyd, thank you. Thank you, Uncle Lloyd. I love you. Goodbye. Thanks, cousin. Love you, Uncle Lloyd. Thank you, Cousin James. Cousin <laughs> Paul and Cousin James. Thank you, Cousin Dylan. Welcome back to Underground Nights. We are going to end on... Going a little round robin here with our favourite VHSs. Um, I'll start with mine because it's a really easy one. I've got the entire Beavis and Butthead collection on VHS, all in the original boxes, all the original artwork, and some of the later ones that came out in the UK, especially after they'd kind of fallen out of fashion, are actually quite quite rare. So um, yeah, for me, Beavis and Butthead. Nice, James. What have you got? Uh, my first one will be probably I have an original preset of. Uh, uh, Peter Cook and Dudley Moore's Derek and Clive Get the Horn. And, I mean, the artwork is just magical. The artwork is um, simply scrawl on the front, like the album cover, Derek and Clive Get the Horn, which, of course, anyone listening, that's, you know, one of the greatest comedy films, videos, whatever you want to call it, of all time. It's, it has that famous uh, uh, skit, you know, the bloke came up to me and said, you can, uh, which is my favourite comedy skit of all time. The back cover is just simply the letter that the BBFC sent to uh, the distributors explaining why this film was evil. Beautiful artwork. If anyone would like to see the artwork, message me. My email is just james at jamesmanager.com. And it's, uh, it's probably one of the first ever VHS videos released in England. So uh, I, I love it. I'm smelling it right now. <laughs> Good choice. Dave, what have you got for us? Uh, well, my favourite all-time one, I don't think I actually own anymore. I think it may have um, been sold along the years. There was a film called Rage War, which was on EV, also known as Dungeon Master, which was a Charles Band movie. Wow. And it was an anthology, and it was like 10 or 11 stories in one short film. It was astonishing how quickly they go through it. But I don't own that anymore, but I do own two copies of Miracle Mile, which is a fantastic and little seen end of the world film. Uh, either of you two ever seen it? Yeah, you know what? I have not seen either of those films, which is why I'm so glad we're talking now. I mean, it's not often someone can throw an obscure VHS at me and I haven't seen it or heard of it. And um, I am it's in awe, but so I'm going to be hunting these down. James, I think you'll like Miracle Mile because it's a lot like After Hours. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh. So race against time, almost set in real time. It's yeah, fantastic. And it's funny you mentioned Charles Band because when I shot that um, VHS Forever scene, Mark Williams, the director, beautiful man, uh, brought me a gift of a Charles Band film. Oh, uh, brilliant! Which, uh, yeah, it was a very, uh, yeah, very excellent choice. I'm going to hunt those down. So I'm just going to quickly say my actual favourite is the original, my original Toxic Avenger release, embossed cover, plastic embossed cover. It was on uh, a new media entertainment label. Um, it was the thing that probably got me into everything. I have it in the original green box uh, with the proper embossed cover and everything. Of course, the film itself was cut to shreds by the BBFC, and this is kind of what I was talking about earlier. BBFC, you know, has notoriously chopped about 20 minutes from Toxic Avenger to give it an 18 certificate, which basically makes it fine for my five-year-old to watch now. And inside the box, I have my... This is VHS I owned as a kid. Inside the box is a piece of, uh, you know, uh, whatever that paper's called that we used to have at school. And it says, it's in my childhood writing, it says Toxic Avenger rental version, and I have a list of all of the cuts. So it says, uh, oh, 18, 26, backstreet fighting mugging. Uh, restaurant scene begins, uh, bl- oh. Oh, 31 minutes, 14 seconds, blind girl's guide dog shot. Uh, <laughs> 34 minutes, three seconds, blender put, listen to this one, blender put into bandit's mouth. Uh, 41 minutes, 54 seconds, henchman's head being crushed. Uh, 42 minutes, six seconds, wonder masturbating in the sauna. Um, I mean, that was me as a kid. Just, um, um, so without the BBFC, I wouldn't have had that obsession. There's a geezer called uh, Bobias, uh, B-O-B-I-A-S. But his uh, um, Instagram handle and Facebook and everything is Afraid of the Basement. This guy makes VHS covers, right? Afraidofthebasement.com is his website. I bought, so he, made, he does VHSs of Django and everything else. But his, his claim to fame is that he's using the Walt, Walt Disney home video artwork and then doing movies like Happiness. And the right. cover is, sure enough, the, the, the dad in the car with his son. Um, and it also kind of, so my favorite is I've got Cannibal Holocaust on the Walt Disney home video label. That answers a question, actually, James, because I saw that on your Instagram. Right. Page, and I was going to ask about those because that, that, yeah. Right, yeah. It's, it's this guy, um, yeah, Babias uh, is his name. I, I, I might be pronouncing that wrong. So if he's listening, I, I apologize. But Afraid of the Basement is his company. And they are beautifully done. And it's him that did The Force Awakens as well. And then normally he copies them like normal VHS copies, but with Force Awakens, he he threw in like extra grain just to make it like proper brutal how the Star Wars tapes were when you rented them as kids. Sand and scanned. Yeah. Dave, you got anything to plug? Uh, I don't have anything to plug, mate. Just follow me on Twitter at Mr. DV. I might put up the occasional packet of crisps on there as well. Please, in the early eighties. Please do, Dave, because uh, I want to see it, and uh, and I'm I'm gonna I'm looking forward to seeing the link to that collection. We'll do, mate. Anything to plug? Uh, I guess yeah, I mean the the trailer for the for the big for that movie City on Fire, uh, the documentary, is now out. But um, so basically, just please find my uh, my Facebook group, uh, which is just my name, James Mullinger. Equally, you know, uh, Twitter, James Mullinger. Email James at jamesmullinger.com. <laughs> But more importantly, Instagram, I mean, there is a James Manager Instagram if you want pictures of my kids and me doing gigs. But more important, I love, I, I have two Instagram accounts. I have one that is me, my life, my family, my comedy. And I have another one that is just pictures of dirty old VHS. The one of dirty old VHS has five and a half thousand followers. The one that is me, my life, my family and my career has one thousand, which means crisp packets and VHSs are five times 
popular than everything I've ever achieved in my life otherwise. But you know what? I wouldn't have it any other way. Thank you, guys. You can find me uh, over at Foul Critics, where I'll no doubt be popping up in the in the next few weeks. Thank you, gents. Good night. Awesome. Good night. Underground Nights is presented by James Mullinger and Paul Field. This episode was produced by Owen Hughes and the music was provided by James Yule. Underground Nights is a part of the Failed Media Network of Podcasts and you can check us out at failedcritics.com or find us on Twitter at UG Nights. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.